The following program contains subject matter which some listeners may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Sabu's looking for something too. Looks like they could be fighting over something. What is this? He's got a 40. Hey, he's got a hey, man. What a 40 ounce? What is that? Old E? Oh, look at that. Abdullah is crazy drinking the old English. The old English. Oh no! 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 no. Oh, he's, got, he, he's got a shard of glass. A shard look of glass. That, look at this, man. This is. Oh, we got it. No. Holy police. This is, this is this is way too much. This, this is, is a new level of violent crap, a new experimentation. You can see the blood right away immediately after Abdul butchered his break, Sabu, with that shard of glass from that bottle. This is nothing short of legal murder, legal assault. No, assault no. Right on the top of the skull with that shard of glass. This is sick. This, I'm actually agreeing with you on this one. I can't. I've never seen anything like this before. Dangerous, violent, controversial, unpredictable, infamous. These words and much more describe the man that we are going to talk about today. Join us on this episode of Grappling with Canada as we discuss the madman from the Sudan, Abdullah the Butcher. Under construction episode of Grappling with Canada. As usual, I'm your host, the Taxman, and this month's episode is going to be a little bit different because I have no actual recording space this month. So if the audio quality is not what it usually is, I have to apologize. I've kind of been in and out of different parts of my household, Casa de Taxman, if you will. So I apologize in advance if uh, if the audio is not up to our usual recording standards. But regardless of that, I'm very excited for the subject matter today. We're going to be covering the incomparable Abdullah the Butcher. Now, I'm very excited for this episode for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one is because of the simple fact that, like, really, I didn't really know a whole lot about Abdullah the Butcher going into this program. And I learned so much about him. And the second one is because, I'll be honest, hardcore wrestling, deathmatch wrestling, blood, guts, gore, blah, 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 not really my thing. So I was a little bit hesitant heading into this program because it's heavy subject matter. And it's researching somebody who's basically carved their niche, pun intended, uh, carving up their himself and his opponents. So this is... Uh, it's been quite the eye-opening experience, if you will, and if you don't believe me, all you have to do is look no further than, geez, any video match that you see on YouTube involving Abdul the Butcher, I guarantee you he's getting juice or color, as the kids say, within the first two minutes of the match. 
It's not everybody's cup of tea, I understand that, but he is a very important person in the history of Canadian professional wrestling, and for reasons we're going to explain later on in this program. But before we get into all that, first off, I want to say a big thank you to everybody who checked out last month's program where we covered wrestling pioneer Jack Taylor. I understand, as usual, that's not everybody's cup of tea, but Jack Taylor is such an important part of the Canadian wrestling history that I felt that last month we did an excellent job uh, highlighting his life and career. And a big thank you again to Nathan Hatton for joining the program to uh, discuss Jack Taylor uh, last month. So if you haven't heard that... I would highly suggest that you hop back in your time machine, if you will. Actually, it's way easier than that. Just go back one episode in whatever podcast platform you're using right now, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you buy, trade, sell, barter your favorite podcast, you will find us. Go one episode back, you'll see our Jack Taylor episode. Really well done and really informative. Speaking of which, if this is your first episode that you're joining us uh, this evening, afternoon, morning, wherever you are in this wonderful world. Uh, Thanks for joining us. You can go in the back catalog. We have some excellent episodes on some great Canadian talent, uh, such as Stu Hart, uh, Dino Bravo, uh, Earthquake, etc. So go back through the back catalog, and especially if you are on iTunes, or if you're on Good Pods, which is a fantastic podcasting app, I must say. I know that iTunes has had a lot of issues as of late, so if you're looking for a new podcasting app or platform, I would highly suggest Good Pods. If you're on either of those or you're on Podchaser, please leave us a five-star rating and review, and I will be sure to read that on the next available podcast episode. I should also message, or I should also mention, listen to me talk. We have our Facebook group. Uh, Grappling with Canada, Facebook.com. Use that wonderful search bar, Grappling with Canada. Come join the group. Come have a discussion about the Abdul the Butcher episode. As well, moving forward, I will be posting a week before the next month's episode drops, as the kids say, the new subject matter, which is going to give you some time to drop your comments, questions, queries, whatever you want to do under that, and I will make sure that they make air for said episode. So once again, use that wonderful Facebook search bar. Come join the group, Grappling with Canada. You can find this podcast, like I said, on any podcasting platform. You can also find it on YouTube, youtube.com slash C slash Six Sided Podcast. You can find me for contact easy enough on Twitter at six underscore podcast. And if you have anything that you want to email me about, you can email me at sixsidepod at gmail.com. And I'm going to repeat all this at the very end of the show, so if you missed it now, don't feel bad. We're going to rehash this all later on. But in all honesty, today we have a jam-packed show, and I'm really, really excited to be bringing it to all of you. So, like I said, today we are covering the incomparable Abdullah the Butcher. Now, for those who don't know who he is, a quick Google search or a quick YouTube search will very much mm, explain what he's all about. Uh, Abdullah the Butcher is one of the most dangerous, one of the most violent, one of the most vile, one of the most impressive heels or bad guys in professional wrestling history. 
and it's not even close. And this isn't just somebody who is very important in Canada. We're going to get into that later on in this program. Like I said, I have some very special guests, but he was also very, very important and impressive and made a very large cultural impact in different parts of the world, which we are also going to get to later on in this program. So for anybody who isn't familiar with Abdul the Butcher, let's jump right into it because we have a lot of ground to cover and we have a lot of fantastic guests on the program. So as we jump into it, Lawrence Robert Shreve was born January 11th, 1941. Uh, he grew up in Windsor, Ontario in Canada, hence Grappling with Canada. He learned karate and judo as a youth and he was teaching fellow children in the backyard. And from all accounts, he ended up earning his seventh degree grandmaster in judo. So that's kind of a quick Cole's Notes summary version of his, where he came from, uh, his early life. But what we're really here to dig into is his professional wrestling career. Now, there is a ton of, shall we say, negative light shone upon Abdul the Butcher online and that is because wrestling is or wrestling was and still is for the most part when you're talking about older generational talent it is still the business of smoke and mirrors so when you have somebody like Abdul the Butcher who was absolutely feared by children feared by adults feared by fellow wrestlers feared by the general public especially if you look at some of those japanese matches when he comes through the crowd and he basically scares a whole row of people out of their seats and then proceeds to throw those seats at other people in the in the uh, arena you know you're dealing with legitimately a madman hence the moniker madman from the sudan but there was also a lot to Abby the Butch or Abdullah the Butcher, I should say, that is not very well known. A lot of that is going to be ground that we cover in today's episode. Now, unfortunately, if you're going to look on YouTube, you're going to see the quote unquote shoot interviews. Now, for people who are not into the wrestling nomenclature, and I understand there's a lot of people who don't really listen to wrestling or don't watch wrestling, or don't care about that part of it, they care about the personal stories who listen to this program. And for you, I'm very grateful. So shoot interviews are basically wrestlers who come quote-unquote out of character to discuss people, places, events, whatever, in their wrestling uh, background. Usually it's done in a way that makes them seem better. Maybe they come off better than they did normally and uh, so this is very prevalent in the internet wrestling community currently. Because of this, you see a lot of, we'll say, negative comments, negative connotation, and negative presentation of what Abdullah the Butcher was all about. There's a large section of wrestlers, wrestling fans, wrestling newspapers that still seem to present Abdul the Butcher as a reckless individual in the ring who was only out there to hurt people and only gave uh, care for himself and only wanted to get himself over. What I aim to do in tonight's program is to prove that that, not really prove, but to kind of shine a light on the other side of the coin 
and I, th I have three fantastic guests who are along for the ride tonight, who I think are going to do an excellent job to showcase not only Abdul the Butcher, the person, Abdul the Butcher, the wrestler, but also Abdul the Butcher, the cultural icon. Now, people like myself who live in Western Canada, and maybe if you live in the in the states, uh, we'll say the, maybe the Midwest, the West, maybe in the South, maybe you don't feel that cultural connection to Abdul the Butcher. Maybe you grew up, you didn't know anything about him. Maybe you heard legends about him from your parents, but possibly you never had that touchstone feel for Abdul the Butcher and what he meant for professional wrestling. What you're going to hear into the program tonight is where he was essentially a god. And I don't use that term lightly. And uh, like I said, I have three fantastic guests who are going to be describing what that all meant as we move forward in this program. We are going to hear from wrestling historian and former guest from Grappling with Canada, Pat LaPrade. You'll know him from the fantastic books uh, that he has written and also co-written with other authors. Uh, most notably, uh, the new Andre the Giant book, which we're going to touch on later. He wrote that with, as well, fellow uh, show veteran, Bertrandy Bear. Uh, we have Iad. He is a YouTuber from a different part of the world, if you will. And uh, he did a tremendous video about the cultural impact of Abdul the Butcher, which I cannot wait for you guys to dig into and hear more about. And we are also going to hear from the original dentist of professional wrestling, Dr. Mike Leno. So these three people... You're going to learn a lot from, you're going to get a lot of different perspective from, and none of them pull any punches, which is most important of all, because the reality is, you don't want to, I would hate to have people on this program, I should say, who give you one side of the story. Either they're going to butter somebody up, or they're going to tear them down. All three guests do a very good job of explaining in their own words, in their own terms, and in their own venues. Uh, what he meant in their lives, what he meant in their parts of the world, and uh, what he left as a cultural impact in each of those. So I cannot wait for you guys to hear these interviews, and we are literally going to jump right into it. Now, first off is my interview with the incomparable Pat LaPrade. Now, a forewarning. I misspeak in my interview with Pat LaPrade. It's uh, <laughs> it's humorous when you hear it, and I get absolutely schooled by Palaprade, and I loved every single second of it. Now, a lesser podcaster may take this out because oh, they want to protect their gimmick, or you know, then nobody ever makes mistakes, or you know, nonsense like that. No, f that. I'm completely dropped the ball and misread something in my notes and he totally calls me out and uh it's great it's it's great listening so i left it in pat you know what i'm talking about everybody else you're gonna get such a kick out of it and we're gonna jump into that interview uh, right away but before that i'm gonna play a little bit of classic wrestling audio featuring abdul the butcher and then on the other side my discussion with Pat LaPrade. I hope you all enjoy. Gary Hart, because you know there's going to be some sort of excitement around when this man comes in. Now, I understand Abdullah the Butcher 
was out of the country for what two or three years you bring him back in get him in his first bout he's suspended again is this man controllable at all he's controllable everything is controllable bill the difference between abdullah the butcher and the other wrestlers that's been in and out of this country everyone's afraid to face abdullah the butcher as soon as there was an incident they took advantage of it and tried to suspend him indefinitely well that's the word we get no the suspension is off or it will be off in the actually it is off the ten thousand dollars is up i have had word from a few of the members of the board that the suspension has been lifted i apologize for the incident that took place and i have said that i will control abdullah the butcher he's back the ten thousand dollars is still up bill and you got some great wrestlers here in world class i want to see him against abdullah especially a von eric by any name or a bruiser a brody uh, how about kabuki kabuki it would be a delight i want the big fat black man from the sudan to get his hands on the chinaman and find out that gary hart has the very best i go far and wide to get him and when i have him brother they are the best I, I agree with you. you've always done that now aren't you putting a tremendous amount of pressure on referees if they have to give a sign right in his face like i said last week if a man is not capable of learning how to speak several words in three or four different languages then he has no right to be an official i said don't touch abdullah he'll not touch you but that don't go for you wrestlers he'll destroy and slaughter all of you but thank no you Gary. referees thank you gary we look forward to some more excitement from you you're gonna see the greatest thing you ever had a chance to see in abby all right gary hart's back excitement's back it may cost a lot of uh, lives and uh, limbs no lives no lives no lives pain and suffering pain and suffering but no lives all right we're going to move along to our next big event right here our world-class championship wrestling thank you thank you All right, very pleased to be joined on the line with returning guest, Pat LaPrade. Pat, how are you doing? Very good yourself. Not too bad, thank you very much. I'm wondering, has your blood pressure kind of leveled out now after Montreal's Cinderella run in the Stanley Cup Finals there? Hey, it was a heck of a run, let me tell you this. I, I'm, I'm old enough to have, you know, to have seen both the 1986 and 1993 Cups. Uh, but, uh, it's, you know, it had been 28 years, so uh, it, it was long overdue, and, uh, you know, they give us a, a, a very cool uh, spring and beginning of summer, and hopefully they can uh, remain on top for, uh, for a few years. Yeah, it would be nice to see them kind of repeat uh, some of the success that they had this past year. Um, what do you think of the draft, by the way, while we're on the topic of the Canadians? Um, I mean, uh, what do you mean, the, the, the Montreal Canadiens draft or the draft in general? Uh, the, the, more specifically, what, what you thought of the Montreal Canadiens picks? Yeah, but, I mean, uh, for once, they picked a few uh, Quebec guys in later rounds, uh, guys like Joshua and uh, Xavier Simonot and guys like that, you know, that were, you know been doing well in the uh, Q League here. Uh, the first pick was, you know, a bit controversial, 
uh, I've, uh, you know, I had my, my own opinion on this. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, if, uh, if, if they can make uh, that, uh, that young kid a, a better person and uh, develop into a, a fine hockey player, I think it's, uh, it's a win-win for, for everyone. Uh, but, you know, I know it's been a bit of a controversy here for the past couple of days. Yeah, it's, I was watching the draft live, and when he got picked, the, the uh, announcers were a little bit stunned. But I look at it kind of from both ways, right? He, he made a very poor mistake, and he recognizes it. So like you were saying, maybe, maybe Montreal can help him uh, grow up and, and recognize uh, that uh, you, know, you, you can't be doing things like that, certainly not in today's day and age. Exactly. So the reason that we're here today, naturally, is to talk about uh, Abdullah the Butcher. So before we get into uh, kind of his start in Montreal, which naturally you would be the go-to guy for that portion of his career, uh, before we get into that, um, let's hear a little bit of your background with um, with Abdullah the Butcher. If you met him before? Yes, I did. The very first time I met him, it was through uh, Gino Brito. Who, who uh, as you must know, Gino Brito is a, a friend of, Ab- of Abdullah for a long, long time. Actually, uh, Gino's father helped uh, Abby um, train uh, when he, he, he first started to, to become a, a pro wrestler. Uh, so Gino and him, you know, have been friends uh, since the Windsor days in, in Ontario, uh, somewhere at the end of the uh, 1950s. Uh, so we went to a, a restaurant here in Montreal. It was the very first time I was meeting him, which was kind of uh, impressive. You know, I mean, Abby has always been uh, the kind of character that kind of scared you as a kid, right? Yes. Uh, you know, with the fork and, and the blood, especially, and uh, the, 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 you know, the number of, uh, of, of, of bloody matches he, he, he had over the years. Uh, and, you know, I grew up, you know, watching international wrestling, so uh, mostly in the uh, 80s, and he was still, you know, a big a big name here uh, in the 80s. His last big run here has been, you know, uh, during the 1980s. So it's been, uh, it was very, like, um, I don't get impressed uh, easily when I meet, even when I meet, you know, big-time wrestlers, but I do remember that meeting Abby for the first time was something else. Uh, and then I met him uh, another time at a um, show here in Montreal. Um, and <laughs> Abby was being Abby, okay? So, so the, thing about <laughs> Abby, the, the thing about Abby is that he is, um, he, he is a money person, okay? He, yes. He's going to do everything as long as there's a paycheck, a payoff, at the end of this, uh, which is which is fine, you know. It's not that you know I don't I don't dispute the, the, the way he is, but you know he is who he is. So so I remember going to um, uh, to greet him, um, and you know we had we had not you know seen each other since a few years back, you know when I first met him with Gino. So I went to introduce myself again, and I, I, I and during that 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 meeting with Gino. Ask him a few questions and everything, you know, because I was already working on my first book on the history of Montreal wrestling. So I went there and told him that, you know, the book was going to be released, I think, a few months, you know, from uh, from from that day. So um, and he goes, um, 
I, I, I told him, you know, that he was going to be talked about and there's going to be a chapter of, about him, you know, in the book. So he looks at me and he goes, okay, so, so uh, you're going to send me any money for this? <laughs> and I, was, I was like, I was like, what, what are you talking about? He said, well, you're going to talk about me in your book? I said, yes. So I'm going to have, I'm going to have a, a payoff from this. I was like, but, but no. And I, I was like, is he, is he like ribbing me? Yeah. Or he's like, serious here i didn't really know which way to to take him uh i think it was serious but i took it as a joke so i started laughing and i just said well good to see you again and 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 i just wanted to leave right um but <laughs> the third time i met with him i kind of had one over him and not not even intentionally so 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 here's the thing my true, truly belief was that me and, and Bertrand, who Bertrand Iberu, who wrote the book with me, I, my, my, truly, my true belief was that we sent him a copy of the book or we gave him a copy of the book somehow. Yes. And my memory of it was that we sent him a copy of the book. And this is like, I don't know, this is maybe three years or four years after we uh, published the book. Uh, it's at Comic-Con, uh, not Comic-Con, what I'm talking about, WrestleCon, uh, weekend of WrestleMania, WrestleMania in Orlando. Okay, yeah. So, so, so uh, it's three or four years after we, uh, uh, I, I, you know, after we published the book, and I have a copy of, uh, of my first book that has been signed by pretty much everyone we talked in the book, and that includes, like, um, the late greats, uh, Nick Bakwinko and Mad Dog Bashan and, 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 and guys like that. And even like Hulk Hogan or, you know, Rick Martel and, you know, all kind of people, Bret Hart, all kind of people that we talk about in the book. I wanted to have Abby's autograph. So I go to his table and I say, hey, you know, I, you know I, I represent myself, you know, reintroduce myself to him. And I go, uh, Abby, you know, I'm, I have, you know, I don't know if you remember me, you know, published this book a while ago. We sent you a copy of it. And and he goes, oh, yeah, but I, I don't remember, you know, having a copy. Yeah, 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 we sent you a copy of it. You know, I do remember it, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, this is just my personal copy of the book. Would you mind signing it? Usually, Abby charges, I don't know, like $80 maybe for an autograph or something like this. Yes. And because of the whole story, he signed it and didn't charge me anything. I go back to the table. And Bertrand tells me, but we never send them a copy of the book. Oh, so, no. What you're talking about? He goes, no, I don't remember sending him a copy. And I'm, I'm like, but that's impossible. I'm sure we did. Uh, so, um, so, and we didn't have any copy of our book then. So, um, so I guess I got one over Abby, probably one of the few who did. <laughs> You know, it's just a story to be, you know, a story. But, um, but, but, uh, yeah, that, that's the three times I actually met Abby. So, <laughs> it's funny hearing the stories about Abby because, you know, naturally everybody has their first reactions of seeing him, you know, either as a as a child or even, you know, in your teens or, or early twenties or whatever, watching him, and you, you you would look at him in a match and you think there's no way that this guy is. Like he's got to be insane, right? You just watching his matches and watching him, and then it's oh, I find it so fascinating to get stories like this where it just you know out of character and uh, 
Yeah, totally not just, you know, he's not going to bite your nose off. Probably, he might, but probably not. Especially if yeah, you're, well, signed, well, especially if you're asking have, for an autograph, either. I, I have a photo of him. When I say I met him three times, I, 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 what I mean is I met him, like, on a personal level. But yes. as a fan, as a fan, I remember going to an Ottawa indie show uh, in, I don't know, the early 2000s, mid-2000s. And uh, I have a photo taken of me with Abby and the fork, you know, on my forehead, you know, like, like yes. he's gonna spike me with his fork. So, so yeah, I mean that that's something that you know that 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 was his gimmick, and you know, as a fan, you're like, hey, you know, I, I want to have that that picture taken as well, you know. Uh, so, so yeah, he, but but I, like I said, I, when he was in his uh, when he when he, when, he, when he was working for International Wrestling. Um, I was, uh, how old I was, uh, my gosh, I was maybe between six and 10 years old. So, so I was just discovering pro wrestling, you know, and, and, you know, you see a character like Abdullah the Butcher, just the name. Yes. You. And, and, and when you see him, you know, wrestle the way he did, uh, match matches were never long, but always like very, uh, aggressive, very bloody, um, it, it was really, uh, let's say, very much different than a Rick Martel scientific match, right? Yes. Yeah, you're going exact polar, or like one's the North Pole and one's the South Pole at that oh, point. Yeah. So when, when, because Abdullah, from all my research, had got his start in, in Montreal, essentially, uh, and that was under Jack Breton, correct? It, it was actually in Windsor. Oh, it was. He started, oh, he started in Windsor. He started, he started in Windsor, uh, in uh, in Ontario. He used to work under another name uh, before working as uh, Abdullah. Um, trying to remember uh, the name Zillis. Zillis. Uh, oh I, my god! I know there was there was Pussycat Pickens was Z one. I, I'll Zillis, never forget that one. Zillis Amara. Yeah. Zillis Amara <laughs> was was one of the names. He used, you know, uh, at the beginning, um, but you know, soon enough, he, he, he became he became Abdullah the Butcher uh, in uh, in Montreal uh, in the mid to late sixties. Uh, you know, when um, uh, when when he, he he started working for Johnny Rougeau. So so he did he did his debut in, in the Windsor and and. You know Detroit territory because you know it was close enough that they were working both uh, both cities. You know it was Jack Britton and Burt Ruby, a long time promoter, uh, who were uh, who were who were promoting there, uh, and uh, and and he was good from from the get go. Um, Mighty Iger, who, who worked with him uh, when he was just starting in, uh, starting on, and. And he, he was like, man, you know, this guy, you know, it's like if he was working for 10 years, but he was just beginning. Yeah. So, so it was just starting. So, so uh, uh, he, he was very good. Uh, he, he knew what to do to get eat, to get reaction. And, and, uh, and, and, and when he became Abdullah the Butcher, uh, I mean, that, that, you know, that, that character was something else, you know. Uh, and uh, and yeah, so he started with uh, uh, being managed by uh, mostly by Eddie Creechman in uh, in Montreal, but others 
I've managed them as well. Tony Angelo was one of them. Um, but uh, in Montreal, it was mostly uh, Eddie Creechman. And the two of them were like, oh, such a terrible duo. I mean, I mean, not terrible in, in the sense that they didn't, didn't do good, but they were like, uh, they... they I mean, if there was not if there was not trouble there, I mean, they would they would find it either way. You know, I mean, <laughs> they would find trouble where you know, in in Switzerland, you know, they would find trouble everywhere. And it, it's funny because because Creechman was the small guy, right? Yes. And um and and the fans wanted to to uh, beat Creechman up because they didn't. Nobody wanted to to go against Abdullah, but, you know, we're going to go against, you know, the little guy, you know, we're going to try to beat the little, the little guy up. So, so uh, in, in some arenas, you know, outside of Montreal, the heat was so intense that by the end of the night, Creechman had to leave the arena in Abby's trunk. <laughs> because, because no one would go and, and try to fight Abby. Uh, uh, but you know, if they cannot find Creechman, you know they're gonna let Abby go away with it. Uh, so sometimes, you know, Creechman had to hide himself in in uh, in uh, in the trunk of Abby's car just to get out of the arena. That's how much heat those two were getting everywhere they were going, every single place, every single town. He was definitely one of the most. Uh, aided heels in the history of Quebec wrestling. Probably him and Keller Kowalski are, are probably the biggest heels in the history of the territory. And um, and it started right right from the beginning when he worked for Johnny Rougeau, uh, when he worked uh, on All-Star Wrestling here in Montreal. And uh, it, it continued, you know, when... Uh, when he, he worked for international wrestling as well. So he, he had a long history here in Montreal and province of Quebec. So I have to ask you, just in regards to the to the Abdullah the Butcher gimmick, because this is something that I've heard versions of and everybody seems to have a different, it depends who you ask is who you get a different story from. But who would have created the, I hate using the word character, but who would have laid the groundwork for him to to assume that moniker like was that Gino Brito or was that a combination of him and Abdullah or or was that somebody else entirely no what what Abby told me uh, at the time uh, was that um, there was uh, there was a promoter um, he, he was he was uh, it was in Vancouver actually in Vancouver he was just called the butcher Yes, uh, and uh, and then um, another promoter uh, added Abdullah to to the butcher name, and that's the name that stuck, Abdullah the butcher. So 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 uh, the, the name came from various promoters because you know the way was the way was wrestling, the way was fighting, uh, but but the character per se was pretty much. You know Larry Shreve, the the the, the man who, who 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 just developed you know that kind of uh, that kind of of of, uh, of skills and, and wrestling, and the name the name came came along. So uh, naturally, he in Montreal is where he really becomes a big star, and uh, I've I've read a lot online, and there's a lot of debate going back and forth. 
because he he was never he was never a champion there. He never had the heavyweight title. But to me, a guy like Abdullah, he never needed the belt. He, he that's not something that he really, um, in my opinion, he didn't need it because he was he was such a big name and he was going to draw people regardless of what he was wearing around his waist. Uh, what's your opinion on on Abdullah and never re- really re- reaching the uh, heavyweight title picture? Well, uh, well, actually, he did. He did what? five times. Five in Montreal. In Montreal, yeah, four times during the sixties and seventies during the uh, All Star Wrestling days, and uh, one last time uh, during the International Wrestling days. He, he, his first his first title was in nineteen sixty nine. He defeated uh, Ivan Koff. Um, which was kind of, uh, well, it was a heel versus heel, but it was untraditional, but still. Uh, then um, Jacques Rougeau beat him uh, a month later. Uh, Abby, Abby uh, took the belt back uh, before the end of the year. Johnny Rougeau defeated him this time. Uh, and then uh, Abdullah won it back in 71 uh, against uh, Mr. X Tarzan Zora. He lost it to Carlos uh, Roca. And then uh, the fourth time was um, the, the title was vacant. It was at the very end of uh, of uh, All Star Wrestling in uh, in the summer of '74. Uh, the, the title was vacant, and uh, Abby uh, bought uh, not bought but fought uh, Tarzan Tyler in the uh, tournament final, and he lost to Jacques Rougeau in September. So it was never like. It was always just a couple of months or, you know, three months reign, you know, because that's the type uh, type of character, you know, he was. You know, he wasn't going to, you know, last long with the title, especially in those days where, you know, long reigns were mostly given to uh, baby faces. Uh, and, um, and the very last time, actually, it was at the very end of international wrestling, um, he, uh, the title was vacant again because uh, David Schultz had left the territory and Abdullah beat uh, Hercules Ayala uh, in February of uh, 87 and he was actually the uh, reigning champion when the territory closed uh, in June of that same year. I love getting schooled on my own show. That brings a smile to my face. I completely misspoke, and I, I don't know what in the world I was reading, but I, uh, and that's why we have the experts on the program, ladies and gentlemen. That's tremendous. Um, as far as his run in the in the east of, uh, of North America, or I guess you could call it that, uh, how much would you know about his run in uh, Detroit, for example? Well, Detroit, he was, he, he, he was, uh, he was doing good um uh, you know what especially you know once he became a household name you know here in montreal detroit was one of the one of the territory where you know he would he would do good and and the same goes with eddie creechman actually creechman uh, didn't have much success outside of montreal but detroit was one of the places where he actually had um but but i mean i, I would say that outside of montreal japan was definitely the the place where Abby was like a god there, you know, he was he was so over in Japan. Um, Montreal and Japan are, are definitely the boat, the, you know, the two places where, uh, you know, he was uh, he was like a wrestling god, you know, he was 
uh, getting so much reaction there as well. Um, uh, but you know, uh, he, he never really worked in New York. It wasn't that kind of uh, of, of wrestlers for a wrestler for them. He worked, you know, a little bit in WCW. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, some people think that you know. Um, Vince should have, you know, brought him in to 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 uh, to to fight with uh, to wrestle Hogan, especially when Hogan was looking for, you know, big big heels, uh, uh, you know, in 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 this uh, in his first run. Uh, but um, but yeah, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they introduced him to his uh, to to their uh, uh, the the the. Um, WWE inducted Abby, you know, to their Hall of Fame, uh, but uh, because they were in Atlanta, you know, during WrestleMania 27, and Abby, you know, had been living in Atlanta for years by then, so he had he had a, a restaurant there and all that. So, but uh, but yeah, I mean, Japan and Montreal definitely were uh, the two places where he. Uh, he, uh, he had the more uh, the, the more success. The reason I'd asked about Detroit is because I was curious about the dynamic between himself and the Sheik because they're they're both very out there characters, and I know that Detroit was not what it was at that point in time. Like he was there um, in the mid seventies, I believe. So it's not like Detroit you know previous to that it wasn't um it wasn't well, roaring like it he was worked, at that. He, he worked detroit in the uh in the early 60s you know he, he worked detroit before the chic got uh you know uh got got his winning streak there and everything yes. but uh but yeah i don't i don't i don't know much about um i don't know much about the chic and abby in in detroit uh, I haven't researched that a lot, uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, they, they were both, you know, they were both quite the characters, though. So we we touched on a little bit about Abby's time in Japan, and uh, there's one name that every wrestling fan would know, and that would be Terry Funk. And Terry has said multiple times that it's you know his top three greatest matches of all time were against Abdullah in Japan just talk a little bit about uh what Abby meant in Japan and and what was the difference between Abby's or if there was any presentation here and in Japan well you know in Japan he was uh it, it was it was the same pretty much the same gimmick in the sense that you know uh, he, he, he would be uh, it would be a big time heel uh, in both places uh, bloody matches his match against Dino Bravo in Japan in the early 1980s is you know one of the matches that I heard the most when I started uh, when, when I was a kid and then later on you know when I started researching about uh, the history of, of, of Montreal wrestling and both Abby and Dino Bravo's I mean, that match was like every tape trader wanted to have a copy of that match at the time. Um, so, so it, it made, it, it, I don't, don't want to say made Bravo, but uh, it, it certainly helped Bravo because uh, Abby was already, uh, um, especially in 81, uh, was, you know, a bigger name than Bravo was at the time. And, um, and, 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 yeah, I mean, 
probably his best matches were in Japan, uh, more than Montreal. But um, he, he was, I mean, he, it, the fans would react the same way because he was that big monster heel in Japan, you know, and, and that's exactly what, uh, what, 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 what the promoters wanted, that, wanted of him there, right? Um, pretty much, like, I don't want to say like Bruiser Brody, but, you know, those big guys, you know, that can be very scary or, you know, especially in the 70s and the 80s, what, uh, what, what you needed to be to be a great heel in, uh, in Japan, whether it was all Japan or New Japan. Uh, that's what that's what you needed to be there. So um, that's what they gave him, you know. And and you know he, he had he had a worldwide career. You know, let's not forget that you know Abby wrestled in the Far East, in Europe, in in Australia, in Africa, in New Zealand. Uh, he, he, he pretty much you know wrestled everywhere, and um, and and uh, it was pretty much the same character over and over and over but you know that's the type of character that you cannot have for like two three years no even sometimes even a year in a row you know you need you need to take break you need to come back and when you come back uh, it needs to be you know fresh programs and 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 things that people haven't seen yet and and uh, stuff like that so we have abby doing his best madman from the sudan gimmick all, the, all across Canada, across America, in Japan, across the Far East, like you just said. Then in 91, he winds up in WCW. Now, everybody needs to understand that WCW at this time was very uh, cartoon light, <laughs> maybe is the best way to say. And they introduced him, and as Jim Cornette would say, he came out of a box and he was over. But not specifically because I don't know what... It's very odd to, to have, and I, I understand that he's a big attraction and he's a big name and, and I understand what WCW was trying to do at the time, but the presentation that he had there, and I understand that there's TV issues in regards to what he can and can't do on television, but, you know, you, you see him, you know, in a, or lined up to feud with uh, Sting. It's Abdullah and Cactus against Sting, and you would think on paper there's a tremendous idea, and then you see it in person and especially with their uh their barbed wire electrocution match or whatever the whatever that all was like it's just incredible to me that you know you have a guy with this incredible aura and whatever and that's how he gets used very strange yeah well well the challenge with booking abdullah it was always to try to find a new way to book him as i guess you know, in Montreal, before the end of uh, the, the international wrestling promotion here, he, he became a babyface at one point. Can you imagine Abdullah becoming a babyface? <laughs> I mean, you know, but, but you were trying to, to do, few, you know, new things with him, trying to, uh, trying to, to uh, present him in another way. Uh, so I'm only guessing that's what WCW was trying to do as well, you know. Because and, and and don't don't forget that at the time, Abby was already 40 years old. Yes. Um, you know, and and uh, you know, he was he was doing short matches, uh, but short matches that uh, that was very tough on his body. So so um, uh, he, he couldn't do the things he could do 
uh, when he was younger, you know, uh, you know, when he was much uh, slimmer, especially. Because uh, if you have seen photos of him uh, when he first started back in the uh, early to mid '60s, uh, he was he, he was uh, he was much more uh, uh, slim, uh, in better shape, could do more things, uh, obviously in the ring. Uh, and then you know his character developed into you know what what we uh, what we saw of him. Uh, later on, but uh, in 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 the nineties, uh, when WCW used him, uh, he, he, he was. I mean, and it's funny to say that because he probably had I don't know six or seven hundred matches after that. Yes, uh, but he was still kind of winding down in a sense, um, and I'm not sure he was really the the right fit uh, for North American wrestling. He was the right fit for Puerto Rico. Yes, he Puerto was. Rico was really into uh, bloody feud and bloody matches. He was the right fit for Japan because he could. He, he was such. He had such an aura there that you know, um, and, and that that he still has to this day. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure he was quite the right fit for uh, any big time North American promotion. On on on. Um, I mean, just for one shot deal because I remember, like, I, I think it's Ring of Honor. Uh, who who, uh, who brought Abby, you know, uh, in 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 their early years, uh, but you know, just for one shot deal stuff like that, to you know, to to have a big uh, uh, a big house, yes, uh, yes, you know, that's gonna work. But uh, you know, for a longer run or for a big program, I'm not sure it was uh, it was the right decision to make. Yeah, I mean, you look throughout. Uh... You know what were the big promotions at that time? You know ECW brings them in for a couple of shots. Ring of Honor, like you said, brings them in for a couple of shots. Um, territories like that. But there's one thing that you had touched on, and I kind of want to back. I know we're backtracking a little bit, but I, I did want to expand on it a little bit. Is you had brought up the point that people were curious why the WWF would never bring him in during the Hogan era to feud with Hogan. Um, just for everybody out there at that at in the mid to late 80s Hogan was king like it, it, no question and so he's always looking for that next opponent I'm wondering was there ever much consideration for bringing Abby in or, or how would that have looked if they did bring him in well I think I think it would have been a great opponent to Hogan uh, because he still could go you know we're we're talking about WCW in 91, and now we would be talking about Hogan when? Maybe 85, 86? Yeah, both that. You know, he, so, so it's, he was still in his, uh, in his early 30s. You know, he was still able to, to go, and, and he, he, I, I do believe he would have been, you know, a great opponent to, uh, to Hogan because he could be that believable. You know, we could, Hogan would have, you know, Hogan could have sold to Abby and still be credible. And Abby was the kind of guy that, you know, you really thought that he, 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 he was hurting the guy. And, and that's exactly what WWF needed at the time. You know, someone legit that, you know, you really could believe that he was uh, hurting uh, the champion. So, so at the end of the day it, it never happened uh, I, I'm just I think that you know Vince wasn't wasn't a big fan uh, I, I remember um, I, there's something 
that I'm trying to remember here. Um, was it J.J. Dillon who said something about... Um, oh, oh, let me try to find that as I'm talking to you. Sure. Um, yeah, so, 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 okay, so J.J. Dillon said that um, in 2005, he had not seen Abby in years, and the first thing he said was that WWF had made a mistake not to hire him. Uh, and JJ uh, in his book says, well, I wasn't hiring, Pat wasn't hiring, it was Vince at the end of the day. Yes. So if, if he was never hired, it was because Vince never said yes to him being hired. So I don't know, uh, you know, maybe he thought that Abby was too... Um, too too uh, too much for his TV, <clears throat> uh, for maybe for uh, northeastern uh, Americans. I, I don't know, but um, but you know, I, I do I, I I do have to side with Abby here because I do think that you know for a short run with Hogan in in the mid eighties, it could have worked. Yeah, I have to agree, especially if it, yeah, you're not gonna book him for a two-year no. deal. But if you're if you're gonna run him for six months or so, yeah, right. Yeah, you, a short program just to put Ogan over. Uh, you pay Abby enough, and, and you know, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, but but yeah, but Abby was like that, right? But uh, um, but and 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 um, especially in Montreal, you know, when when they. When they uh, when WWF got into into town in a, a late '85, early '86, I mean Abby and Hogan in Montreal, I mean it would have dropped big time. Cause I'll tell you a story, okay? So so Ring of Honor comes in Montreal for the very first time. Um, so when is that? It's um, 2000. Uh, oh my gosh, my memory here. Uh, 2008. So 2008, Ring of Honor comes to Montreal for their very first time. Uh, they come a second time uh, in April of 2009. So first time in November tw- uh, 2008, second time in April 2009. And on that show, they announced that Ric Flair will be uh, in town for the next show and that you know just to sign autographs and all that and uh, they're putting tickets to sell so i'm the local promoter for ring of honor for those two shows and um they didn't ask me my opinion before uh, about reflair or anybody else for that matter but you know the day of the show they're telling me about it i said okay and we have not sold much tickets neither at intermission or after the show and they were kind of disappointed because to them we're bringing rick flair right so why we are not drawing with rick flair and i was like but you need to understand something rick flair and and i remember i remember like it was yesterday um i had that same conversation i'm having with you now but with dave Meltzer, very first time um, dave and I met in Montreal, we went to, uh, it was after a UFC event, and I was telling him that exact story and he couldn't believe it. So so I was telling him, Abdullah the Butcher in Montreal, even in 2009, 
will draw more than Ric Flair. And he couldn't believe it. And I was like, but you have to understand, Abby was on TV every week or like, and often enough from the mid 60s to the mid 80s for like a 20 year period. And you know he was always he would always come back for a spot show or you know a shot Rougeau's show somewhere or stuff like that. He was he was a name. He was he was bigger than wrestling in Montreal. His name you you didn't have to follow wrestling to know about Abdullah the Butcher. Uh, he's still to this day probably one of the names that resonate the most with fans. And I was explaining that to him. And I was telling. Dave, uh, Ric Flair, we didn't see him on TV here. That's right. We, 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 we for, for, for all of, I mean, most of the 80s, we didn't have any NWA wrestling. It wasn't, it wasn't on TV. It wasn't on French TV here. Um, only, uh, only for a short period of time, it was on TV when Ronnie Garvin was the champion there. Uh, but, um, it was only like when Flair jumped ship to WWF that people in Montreal, in the province of Quebec, which are, which are mainly French-speaking people, got to see Ric Flair on French TV because of the WWF. And it was just for a couple of years, That's right? That's right, yeah. So, so, so the only people really, really like uh, into Ric Flair are the ones that uh, are... Um, uh, you know, huge fans. You know, the, the real, the real vivid fans will know about Ric Flair, but the regular fan, the casual fan, um, who, who who wants to bring his kids to the show, but won't be listening to every TV or won't be going to every show, won't read the magazines or later on the internet, don't didn't know much about Ric Flair. They knew more about Abdullah the Butcher. He was. He was he was kind of a of a scary fiction character that you almost don't believe that he's real, but he is. And 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 the best proof of you know all of what I'm saying right now is that when Abby did his very last match in Montreal, uh, and it was for a promotion called NCW, and they did announce him and well announce the match as his last match in Montreal. Um, it was in 2009 and at the time the promotion was, I don't know, maybe drawing, a, you know, a couple of hundred people on, on a good day, yeah. less, less than that on, on, you know, on, on, on average. And that night they drew, uh, a little bit over 600 people and, um, they were like, um, one of the, one of the biggest newspapers, uh, air to cover the event because it was Abdullah the Butcher's last match in Montreal, and and it, it was sold as something that you go, well, you know, is he really going to retire? Or is he? He, he didn't retire after that, but he never came back to wrestle in Montreal after that. So it was truly his very last match in Montreal, and they drew three, four times what they used to, what they used to, and just to tell you that six hundred people was more people than any of the two shows Ring of Honor did in Montreal. 
See, I, I... Which, is, which, is, which is kind of sad because if you look at those lineups now, you're going to find guys like uh, Daniel Bryan and Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn yes. and Kenny, Kenny Omega and, 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 uh, and Cesaro and Seth Rollins. But at the time, they were, you know, on the indies, didn't have, you know, they had the talent, but they didn't have those, you know, they were not those household names that they are today. But, you know, as far as talent goes, uh, the, the two the two didn't match at all but Abby was Abby and it, that brings us back to like so we're going back in the in the archives a little bit but when we were t- when I had yourself and Bertrand on and we were talking during the Dino Bravo episode which I encourage everybody to go in the archives and check that out if you've missed it but even then we were talking about how Montreal is is so different right you can't you can't promote and book and organized like you would for Winnipeg or for you know to use my home city for example or anything on the west coast right Montreal just has this certain they say je ne sais quoi I guess but my French is awful but no like and I've been to Montreal and it's just the vibe and everything is different like everything I'm not saying you need to tailor things to Montreal, but the things that are important to the people of Montreal stay important, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. And that just further reinforces it reinforces that fact. Nostalgia works a lot here. For, for any kind of sports, uh, actually, uh, wrestling included. Uh, when when, we, when we, we did our first uh, book lounge for the book on the history of Montreal wrestling, uh, I was... Um, I was trying to sell ECW Press that we were going to have a huge media lounge in Montreal, you know, that a lot of of, of the uh, uh, media would be there to cover it, and we would get, you know, those old-timers there, the Rick Martels, the Ray Rougeaus, the Gino Britos, and, and so on and so on. And, and I remember the publicist at ECW Press telling me, well, you know, Patrick, you know, some, you know, a lot of times, you know, media will say, uh, that they will be there, but you know, the, the you know, most of them won't. So you know, and and a lot of you know, you're saying a lot of people will be there, but again, people will say they go, but they won't. So make sure you invite your friends and your family, because usually that's you know, all the crowd we're gonna have. And I was like, no, no, you are it. gonna be wrong. Just, you just don't get what wrestling is in Montreal, and and lo and behold, we had. 200 people there at a sports bar in Montreal and we did have all the major media which you know TV radio um, newspapers we were covered uh, you know completely by all the media and it was that nostalgia act that works so much here uh, and and the same when when Mad Dog Vachon we had the book on Mad Dog and and most more more recently when we had the book on Andre the Giant nostalgia will work a lot here um, and and there's also the French speaking uh, aspect of it and, and that's why Montreal has always been so different in every sense because the Montreal aspect of it um, and the French uh, not the Montreal aspect but the French speaking of it um, makes for a territory very unique where the biggest baby faces were usually a local guy or someone who spoke French so 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 he had those you know the the evil Robert and and Johnny Rougeau and and 
and Dino Bravo and Jacques Rougeau and Rick Martel and um, um, you know Kevin Owens. Let, let's put him in the mix. Um, but uh, other than that, you had the, the Edward Carpazzi or Andre the Giant or Henri the Glan back, you know, in in the 1930s, who were French from France, uh, from France. But but actually, you know, because they spoke the language. Uh, they become, you know, locals in the eyes of, 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 of people here because they could relate to them because they couldn't understand what they were saying. If, if you want to be a heel here, it's pretty easy. You come to the ring, you, you speak English, and you tell them to F off. And, and that's all you need to do. That's very easy, cheap eat, but it's going to work. If you want to be a baby face, you wear a Montreal Canadian jersey. You know, one of the biggest reactions I've ever heard, and it's not even in wrestling, but it's George Champier for his rematch against Matt Serra. Oh, the- yes, I remember that. And, and, and you know, so, so, so that French-speaking aspect of it will work in a lot of fields, uh, in, in MMA, in hockey. Uh, you know, the biggest, the, 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 more po- the most popular hockey players in Quebec were French speaking uh Guy Lafleur and Maurice Richard and 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 Patrick Waugh and 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 you know so so uh, there's a few exceptions here and there of course uh, but uh most of the times uh the one that will connect the more with the people will be either the one who speaks French or the one that shows that they can speak French Gary Carter in baseball was a big star here because he would just say a few words in French. Yeah, he sometimes. tried. Yes. So, so, uh, so that aspect of it is very different from any other territory, and also is the reason why the the territory had never been really uh, much researched and covered before. Me and Bertrand write, wrote that book on Montreal wrestling because most of the good information were published in French newspapers and only the Montreal Gazette was was the one that you know people could research outside of Montreal if you're a wrestling historian in in uh, Oklahoma uh, the only newspaper you'll be able to read to read is the Montreal Gazette but the Montreal Gazette wasn't covering wrestling all the time you had a few others you know back in the days the Montreal Star, the Montreal Arrow uh, but but the the, the the best source of information were still over a hundred year period French newspapers. So that's that's why you know when me and Bertrand stepped in and did this, uh, we we were able to bring new information into the mix because it's never been researched the way it should have been. Uh, it's never been understood the way it should have been. And um, WWE has done shows here with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and didn't put either of them on the poster that is a misunderstanding yes. of how the territory works and I, I get why they do this because they're not trained to do this they're not uh, I mean if they go if they go to uh, um, I don't know uh, uh, if they go to uh, where's the Miz from um, uh, is he Miz California from, huh is, he's not from California is he no, no, no. That, that, usually, that's the example. Oh yeah. no, he's and from I, Cleveland. He's from Cleveland. He's from Cleveland, exactly. So if they go to Cleveland, 
they don't have to put the Miz on the poster because Cleveland, I mean, the, the, there's not the same sense of um, of partisanship of the, the, the Quebecers, people from Quebec, will get behind their um, their stars a lot more than any other cities in the U.S. You, you won't, you won't, and if you're not from here, it, it's hard to understand. And I'm sure there's people in Cleveland who will say, well, I'm proud that The Miz is from Cleveland. Yes, I'm sure you Yes, are, but it's a different but it's kind not, of proud. It's, it's a completely different kind of proud. And, and, um, and, and that is a misunderstanding of how the territory works when you have two guys who, speaks French, who speak French and you don't put them on your poster, that you're not making them the center of what you're trying to uh, to to sell tickets here? That's that's the guys who's gonna sell tickets. Of course, the John Cena's and the Roman Reigns will sell tickets too, but not uh, the but, same but, way. I mean, but but you need you need those two guys into the mix. Even if you don't use them on the program on top, even if they are barely on the show, you need to put them in the center of any media run. Uh, are you going to be doing and and um, WWE has a history of usually burying someone in his own town. Um, in Montreal, you, you you can do that. You, 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 if you want it to work, you have to treat those stars uh, with what the, the fans here are expecting you to do, and um, that's why you know. When when we had Kevin Owens against Sami Zayn on a house show here, it was like it was tremendous. It was tremendous because that's another thing. Uh, uh, two Montrealer or two guys from Quebec, you know, beating, be, you know, fighting each other, that will work. Yes. It will always, always, always work. It worked in in boxing. It worked in wrestling back in the days. The the, the two of the biggest matches ever done in boxing here. Uh, where two guys from uh, from Quebec, Jean Pascal and Lucian Boutet, uh, was the, the 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 more recent one we had a few years ago. Uh, Dave Hilton and Stefan Wallet was another one, and we're talking like twenty thousand people. We're talking about selling out either the Montreal Forum or the Bell Center or whatever. So so it's huge, you know, and and. Uh, and that's usually you know how this works. They, they um, Sylvain Grenier. I remember Sylvain Grenier telling me uh, from you remember him from from La Resistance in WWE. Yes. Um, and when he when he left WWE, one of the things he told me was that he he he, he wished that he would have been he would have been more present with the media here because now that he was gone, he understood it better and he, he, he saw that he wasn't although he was the more recent Quebec guy at the time to be in WWE people still remember PCO Pierre Carlwallet more than him Yeah, because PCO was in the news all the time and thanks to Jacques Rougeau that's one of the good things that Jacques uh, taught PCO but, but Sylvain that's one of the things he, I remember telling me he wished that you know he would have been more present when he was with WWE. So that's one of the things that I made sure with Kevin Owens that when he got signed, I was like Kevin, you know, this is really important. You need 
to be present for local media here and and he, he always he always uh, was and and he did and and he's considered like a big star here now people i mean he's in the news if something happened to him you know so 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 uh, uh so that's how it works here so so abdullah was all that to say that abdullah was um a big name here and even in 2009 when abby was almost seven years old he was still a drawing card more than a rick flair could ever be here not more than Hulk Hogan, but Hulk Hogan was a different animal. Yes, you know he's 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 one of the exceptions, but he was on TV here, and he was you know coming here every single month uh, during the late '80s. You know, Ric Flair wasn't, so there's like a big difference between the two. But yeah, and and I remember like a Ring of Honor like almost not believing me and and not not, not believing me, but it, they were like in disbelief, and 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 Meltzer was like, what? What are you saying? And I was like, yeah, that's how it works here, you know. But it's it's that you need to have lived here during those days to really, really understand how wrestling uh, was huge and and why uh, a guy like Abby at sixty eight years old uh, was still a, a bigger drawing card than 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 a guy like Ric Flair. One last point, I just want to get to while we're off track a little bit but I I just I find this talk so fascinating because even like Western Canadians specifically as well I'm, I know we have a huge international audience so it's gonna touch all of them as well but we just we we don't we don't get it you know what I mean and it I, I was listening to a, a great friend of mine uh, Mike Ryan he has a podcast uh, conversation with Canadians and he had a politician on he, who was from, um, I think he's from just outside of Montreal, but he was talking about his time in federal politics and how it relates to this story is he went out east, like to, I think he went to Toronto, and he didn't understand before how th- how things in Quebec work for Quebecers, how, how you guys hold on to your history and you hold on to your nostalgia and you really the, the things that make you guys really make you guys if that makes any sense and he's he was saying on the program he never understood it till he left and he said he was he was in toronto for six hours and he was like i get it now now this makes sense to me but it, it's one of those things where it, it like it, it from the outside looking in and that's why i find so fascinating and reading like yourself and bertrand's books as well it's like you get this glimpse of yes we're we all live in canada but the the it's like two separate worlds it's an incredible and it just the the insight that you guys provide especially into all this and then the limited amount that i'm able to on this program just it's it's still so mind-blowing to me and i've been you know researching for a while now and it's still crazy to to dig into this and really like sink my teeth and know okay you know this is like what is this you know what i mean it's crazy you you know who is someone who didn't get it bret hart no he yeah unfortunately Bret, bret bret hart when um when he didn't want to lose in Montreal, you know, in, in 1997, in what became uh, famously known as the Montreal Screwjob, he, he thought that losing in Montreal would create a riot here. Because 
he thought that because he, he was from Canada, that anywhere you would lose in Canada would create a riot because he was a quote-unquote Canadian hero. He didn't understand how Montreal and the province of Quebec was working because if there was one place in Canada where Brett could have where lost... Where he could have lost, it, it was, was Montreal. It, it, it was Montreal. It was Montreal. As a matter of fact, he was probably more popular because of what happened in Montreal and, and after 97 than when he came in Montreal for the Survivor Series. Because to, to Montrealers or to Quebecers, Bret Hart was an English-speaking guy from Calgary. Yes. We have no no relation. We have no link to him. We don't we don't see ourselves in someone who is named Bret Hart, the cowboy from Calgary. No, I, I don't want to disrespect Bret, but you know what I'm what I'm saying. You know, Calgary, Stampede, and all that. That's not that's not. No, it's it's here. night and day. It's night and day, and 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 the language is very important as well. So 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 that's something that Bret didn't understand because if there was one place he could have lost it was here and it was it would have not created a riot my gosh not uh you know fortunately for him like i said you know he he, he, he he's a big star now because of that but he, 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 he wasn't that big of a star here compared to other uh, great wrestlers from the province of quebec when he when he got in the ring in in november of 1997 so um so 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 that's just an example uh, that uh, the, the province is very different you know than than any others and it it, it, it showed in, in professional wrestling and in its history and certainly when when you know um quebec and specifically in this case with abby montreal adopts somebody like abby you know who's who's cut his teeth there and become a big star there and then you know come back time after time and and still has that connection right you that's not and, something and especially especially in 1997 where we when we were just uh when we're just uh, a few uh couple of years after the second referendum you know when we when when quebec tried to uh, you know, or, or did a vote to separate itself from the rest of Canada. Um, there, there, that, that movement was still strong. Yes, you know, it was. You know, uh, the, 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 the yes came very close of, of winning, like 50.5 against 49.5%. So two years later, it was still something um, that, that, that uh, was very strong here. So an English-Canadian... Uh, coming in town, even in in the world of pro wrestling, even if he was a WWF um, star, that that didn't touch anywhere any any other uh, Quebec guys like the Vachons or the Rougeau were, uh, even at the time. Yeah, I, I I can't say it any better than that. It's uh, yeah, it's it's very eye opening, especially when you when you take that step back and and really kind of immerse yourself in what was going on there and and again the, the, that's the great thing about this program speaking for myself is that I'm able to now use this as a vessel if you will to you know go into these areas of, of Canada that you I would have normally not ventured right but 
part of the fun anyways and something that I'm really enjoying as part of this program. Um, speaking or just, I guess, we'll transition a little bit because I don't want to take up all your time tonight. And you've been very gracious with it, by the way. Um, for yourself, what what would you say would be Abby's legacy to this day in Montreal? Is it still as much as it was previously? Like, does his name still hold value there? Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, there was a there was a survey for uh, the French version of Family Feud, uh, maybe ten years ago. And the question was only name a famous wrestler, and Abdullah was on the was on on the was one of the like top seven or eight names wow. that was named at the time. So 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 I mean Abdullah's legacy uh, will always live here in Montreal as you know one of the main characters that uh, that made professional wrestling what it was here and what what it still is you know here. Um, it's a name that, like I said, you know, it, it transcended pro wrestling. Uh, it transcended generations. Uh, there's, I, I don't know one person involved in pro wrestling uh, now that doesn't know the name of Abdullah the Butcher. I cannot say that everyone has seen matches of Abby, but they know the name. They heard the name. Uh, they, 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 and and if you go, if you're like 40 years and older. Uh, it's even stronger, you know. You, you, you obviously you probably have seen him work, or you have your father or your grandfather who told you stories about him. Um, it, it's still a, a big, big name uh, in uh, in Montreal wrestling, uh, in Quebec wrestling, and and there's, there's always stories about you know uh, bloody matches and stuff like that that people will remember till you know till they die. It's it's. Uh, one of the greatest eels uh, of all time here in in Quebec, uh, and um, one of the main uh, I want to say one of the main draws uh, in the history of of, uh, of Quebec wrestling. Of course, when you're a heel, it's always different than when you're a baby face. Yes, uh, but uh, top ten draw uh, of all time, definitely, and and second biggest heel. Uh, beyond Keller Kowalski, and and that's quite the statement. Yeah, that's so, so high praise. Get rid, get rid of all the big baby faces, the the Evil Robert and Carpazzi and and Johnny Rougeau, Dino Bravo, Jacques Rougeau, and and Andre the Giant. Get rid of Hulk Hogan, and you have Kowalski and, and Abdullah. So the, the, there's a top ten for you of you know the biggest uh, names in 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 the history of of, of Montreal wrestling. Now, before I let you go for the evening, uh, what do you have on tap for the horizon for yourself? And uh, if you're working on anything with our friend of the show, Bertrand, as well. Um, actually, um, I'm not working with Bertrand on anything right now. Uh, we both have separate projects. Uh, Bertrand is working right now on a book on uh, a ring announcer and a TV uh, commentator, Mark Blondin. Who, who has uh, been doing this for, uh, I want to say, uh, over 30 years. Um, he worked for WWF, WCW. He's been on TV um, uh, for uh, 30 years, doing since the early 90s, uh, doing WCW, doing TNA, uh, Impact, and, and he's still doing Impact uh, pay per 
he was in French on the on Fight TV. Wow. Uh, so so Bertrand is working on his uh, autobiography. Um, I decided to uh, extend my uh, fan base, and I'm actually working on a hockey book. Uh, oh, nice! I'm actually, I'm actually writing the uh, biography of a, a former uh, Montreal Canadiens captain, uh, Emil Butch Bouchard. Who, who, who played for the Montreal Canadiens during the 40s and the 50s. He was the captain when, uh, for, you know, most of Maurice Richard's career, he was, he was his captain. Uh, um, very influential and, and, you know, we always talk about Maurice Richard, but, but Butch was probably the very first uh, French-Canadian to... Um, to, to to stand for his own, you know, with with the with, with the Montreal Canadian, very influential to both Maurice Richard and Jean Beliveau, and uh, you know one the one of the all time greats, you know, Hall of Famer. Uh, he was named one of the hundred uh, best defensemen in the history of the league. Um, uh, captain, like I said, for many many years, uh, won many Stanley Cups with the club as well. So. Um, one of the biggest names we have here and and you know one that uh, a book was overdue to uh, uh to be uh, to be written about so uh, i'm working on that right now so it should be it should be for uh, the fall of 2022 good time for uh the start of the 2022 season then exactly exactly yeah 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 so uh when when hopefully you know it's going to be the first season completely without you know covid and 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 and, and yes everything, yeah fully because i'm guessing that this one you know will still have you know a, a lot of uh of of uh um rules to follow and you know mass wearing especially here in canada where you know it's totally different than than in the u.s uh but uh yes yeah, so hopefully uh uh, that's going to be the the, the, the first uh, season of uh, of a COVID hundred percent free uh, season and uh, right timing for that. Yeah, right timing for Christmas as well. Perfect. Yes, perfect timing for both of those events. Uh, uh, Pat, this was an absolute pleasure speaking with you tonight. Uh, before I let you go, uh, where can everybody uh, get in contact with you? Very easy. Uh, Pat Laprade. L-A-P-R-A-D-E on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, you can buy any of uh, uh, of my books. Uh, you know, Amazon is, is the way to go. Mad Dogs, Midges, and Screw Jobs, the uh, untold story of how Montreal shaped the world of wrestling. Um, Mad Dog Vachon, uh, Mad Dog, the, the Maurice Vachon story, which is the biography that I wrote with Bertrand Hebert on. Uh, WWE Hall of Famer Mad Dog Deshaun, uh, Sisterhood of the Squared Circle, uh, the um, uh, the history of women's wrestling that I wrote with Dan Murphy, and uh, our, our more recent one um, um, about Andre the Giant, the Eight Wonder of the World, the true story of Andre the Giant that's been uh, having a lot of praise. Uh, pretty much all around and there's going to be it's a hardcover book but there's going to be a soft cover book getting released uh, I think we didn't even talk about that yet so we might have a scoop here oh uh, I like it breaking uh, news so, so a soft cover version of the book uh, coming up uh, this fall uh, so uh, so yeah 
different uh, different cover. So for those uh, collectors out there that like to uh, have a different version of the book, um, that's that's your way to go. And 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 the book is also available, you know, through Kindle, and there's an audio book uh, as well. I'm gonna speak to the kids and the wives in the audience right now. Uh, the wives, make sure that you're you're uh, sneaking that one on the husband's uh, gift wish list for Christmas time. And uh, kids, make sure you put that on your Christmas wish list as well. Well, you know, it's it's uh, it, it, it's a great. Oh, you, you which one you're talking about? You talking about the, the soft cover? cover? Oh, the soft cover. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, Andre Andre has been such a, a you know a, another legend, another one that's you know that whose name uh, has transcended you know the world of of uh, professional wrestling. And you know we we didn't only cover uh, Andre's career and life, but the history of wrestling in France, in Japan, in Montreal. So I mean, it's it's a uh, almost a 500-page book uh, in English, and I mean it's uh, we're very proud of that book. It's it's our biggest success uh, so far, uh, both in French and English, and we're really really proud of that. As we are from you know all of our books, but this one was was uh, really special to do and and the reaction is kind of overwhelming you know so uh, uh looking forward to have myself that soft cover version uh when it's uh when it's uh, when it gets out there well you guys absolutely deserve all the accolades because because yeah like i said those tremendous reads and uh yeah i'm just i'm thrilled and and once again i'm thrilled to uh have you back on the program we're gonna have to do this again pat Thank you, Andy. Thank you very much for having me. And anytime, you just need to contact me. You know that. Sure thing. Thank you very much, Pat. Have a great one. You too. As we move forward to tonight's program, I'm happy to bring on my next guest. Uh, Iyad did a tremendous video detailing the cultural significance and continued cultural significance of Abdul the Butcher. And I had originally wrapped this entire program up, signed, sealed, and delivered, if you will. But I came across this on YouTube and I had to get him on the program. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation regarding Abdullah the Butcher with Iyad. All right. Very happy to be joined on the line right now by Iyad. Iyad, how are you doing, man? I'm great, man. How are you? I am fantastic. It is uh, 5 o'clock my time. What time is it over there right now? Well, it's uh, just... uh... Short to one thirty a.m. So, for anybody listening out there in international podcast land, we've had a logistical, <laughs> a bit of fun trying to get this one dialed in. But man, I'm I'm very happy to have you on the program here. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so, in terms of my Abdullah the Butcher research, this is a little bit of backstory for anybody listening right now. I had gone down the. Uh, YouTube rabbit hole, if you will, and I was trying to find, or I was going through, I should say, old Abdul the Butcher matches. So I'm going through, going through, and about four videos down is a video that you had produced. And I clicked on it, and I was absolutely blown away. But before I get into that, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you're doing on the YouTube channel. Okay. First off, I want to say, Andy, the tax man, thank you very much for reaching out, and I'm really, really super glad you liked the video. Uh, I'm actually <laughs> very happy right now, uh, because I poured a lot of love into that video, 
this is only my second English video. Um, I've been uh, creating videos on YouTube, I think, well over six years now. <laughs> and uh, my main channel is in Arabic, and I do gaming, mostly. But I do delve into other topics from time to time. And uh, mostly retro games, so it's all old games. So that's where, like, I saw the... That's where I got some of the ideas from, or the characters that were mentioned in the Abdullah the Butcher video. So these characters always passed by me from time to time, and I'm like, gee, that character really looks like Abdullah the Butcher. Why, why are there so many Abdullah the Butcher-inspired uh, characters in video games? So the English channel is a new channel I just started. Uh, I still haven't figured out what I'm going to do in uh, terms of content for that channel, but I think the direction I went with Abdullah the Butcher video uh, well, it told me a lot of what I should do with that channel. The channel is 1001 Games. And um, yeah, that's this is a new beginning for me, uh, English content, and that was the start. I had one previous video that was just a test video to test things out for me. And that brings us to where we are today, I suppose. Yeah, and did you say it was the fourth video on your rabbit hole search? I believe so, yeah. So, like, I would I searched on English naturally, my first language. And, yeah, it yeah. was, like, four down. So, for anybody interested, and you should be, believe me, this is a fascinating look. The video was called... The influence of Abdullah the Butcher on Japanese pop culture, which obviously ties very well into our topic of discussion today. So I had clicked on that and I was absolutely blown away. First off, the presentation itself was tremendous, so I commend you on that. But the amount of research that you did, and there are, and we're going to get into it right away, but there is so much information that you brought up in that video that I was like, man, I... I Originally, I had this programmed all buttoned up, zippered, and ready to go. And then I saw this video, and I was like, "Got to scrap it. I need to get this guy on, and we need to talk about this." So, I have to know before we get into it, what really inspired you to get into this video? Did you have knowledge of Abdullah the Butcher beforehand, or is this something that you kind of came across as you were diving into your video game history? So, as I mentioned, like. The first time I heard the name Abdullah the Butcher was in 2007, which is very strange if you think about it. I've been watching wrestling since the 90s, but predominantly over here we only got WWE or WWF at the time on our local channel here. Some channels around us from other countries did show like WCW and other stuff, and I know in the UAE in Dubai, they used to show Stampede over there. Like a lot of people would tell me that. Uh, so that was interesting in the 80s, of course. Uh, and that's very strange because like back then TV was really different over here. Uh, it was kind of, I don't want to say primitive, but very basic. Like you got the news, you got a few shows, you got a few cartoons, and then on Wednesdays we had wrestling. <laughs> but you probably wouldn't expect Canadian wrestling on your channels. Yeah, no, no. And not Japanese or not anything else. So it was For sure. For, so uh, for me, like... Since I started watching in the early 90s till like mid 2000s, it was just WWE. I I couldn't even get my hands on anything else if I wanted to. So as I mentioned in the video, the first time I heard the name, 2007, on the WWE show, and I was like instantly the name grabbed my attention. I'm like Abdullah the Butcher. 
where has this guy been? And over the years, I just, you know, you go on YouTube, you watch a few matches here and there of Abdullah, and then in Japan, and then you notice he's kind of a big deal in Japan. But with the video games, that kind of came in slowly. Like, like I said, I play a lot of retro games, and I love arcade games. And as you saw in the video, there is a lot of focus on arcade games and arcade characters. So it slowly came to me, oh, that character from that game, he looks like Abdullah the Butcher. Oh, that character from that other game has the scars on his head, and so on and so forth. And then, as a matter of fact, this video, I first wrote down the, uh, I don't want to say script, but the idea on a piece of paper in 2018. But I only had a few of the information, so I waited, and I wanted it to be organic. I didn't want to, like, research 10 animes in one night to find if Abdullah is in it. No, I left it uh, be, and I wanted it to be organic. So over time, the characters and influences accumulated, and even till the last moment, I've been, I was finding stuff. Like, the week I published the video, I added, I think, one game and um, one anime, if I'm not mistaken. And then it kind of just built from there, I suppose, is, is as you kind of progressed through the library, is kind of uh, the more you went, the more you found, I guess, is what it ended up being, hey? Yeah, and even after I published the video, I found two other games <laughs> that reference Abdullah. <laughs> so, you know, the research is still going on. And these are. I wanted it to be organic. Oh, for sure. And these aren't like, you know, run of the mill, like nobody bought this game type of games. Like these are some influential, highly influential games that he has been influential in those as well. Yeah, very. Like some of the biggest games, like all most of the games I mentioned, I played and liked and replayed a hundred times, maybe <laughs> even when I was a kid. And I would go back to the arcades to play them again. The only game that I've, uh, the, the one game I added like the week before I published the video, even after the first draft of the video, uh, was uh, I think it's called Royal, Royal Wrestling on the, Royal Pro Wrestling on the 3DO. The only reason I've never even bothered to search on the 3DO, I've never played the 3DO. <laughs> so <laughs> that was out of my realm, but I, stumbled on that uh, coincidentally and I'm like okay I have to add this you know it is weird but it's funny because like I have read so much about you know he's and that's the, the classic cliche line here in North America oh I'm big in Japan but yeah. <laughs> but when you're reading about Abdul the Butcher he was legitimately huge in the pop culture of Japan and what I found it fascinating in your uh, video was the games that were listed, it, it's it's like I said, big name games like Pokemon. He he influenced uh, a bunch of those characters as well, and I just things you don't would not normally think about, and then you see and you wouldn't notice them like, exactly Pokemon specifically. Like I've played Pokemon since the the game came out and watched the anime and all that, and still play the games, and. Back then, I would have even noticed it until I researched, and you know, like, so that was kind of subtle. The reference there is subtle, but uh, the Pokemon's Machop and Machamp and uh, Machop, they're fighting Pokemon's and they're wrestlers. Yeah, which is tremendous. 
I, what I was blown away as well was how prevalent he was. Is it manga? Is that how it's pronounced? You can say it manga, manga. Okay, but how prevalent he is in that culture as well. Can you speak a little bit about that as well? Yeah, so I didn't include a lot of mangas because there are a lot of mangas. Oh, there's so much. Yes, uh, I only uh, mentioned the main one, which is he was the main character in that one, and that's uh, like a comedy romantic manga, which is strange, a strange thing on its own. Uh, but there are other mangas that I didn't want to include because... Um, you know, you could. I couldn't find a lot of information. Anyway, so the manga, in one of the mangas I found, I think the manga is called Worst or something like that. There's like a group of high school kids. They, I don't, I'm not sure if they were a gang or something, but they were a group and they had a name, and the name was, I think, Fantastic Butcher Ichiban. <laughs> which the initials would be, be FBI. Yes. So. Like, if you're reading the manga, it will be like FBI, but if you go deep into it, it's actually, it has the name Butcher in it, and it's mentioned a lot online that, yes, Abdullah, the name was inspired by Abdullah Butcher. So there are these subtle, like, uh, references of it, Abdullah. It doesn't have to be a character. So, and we're going to be referencing your video quite often here, naturally, because, like I said, it's, it's fantastic, but... The part of the video that that busted me up something fierce was Abdul the Butcher in a commercial and he, he gets a plate smashed over his head. We got to talk about it. I want to know all about what you found about Abdul the Butcher doing commercials for plates and soft drinks in Japan. Okay, so uh, for me, the one where he's dancing was or the Suntory uh, lemon drink. Yeah! So out of character. And if you notice, they covered his scars with like a bandage. Yes, that's right <laughs> or sun- too. Or, or sunglasses, I think. Okay, there were two commercials. In one of them, the scars are covered with sunglasses. And the other one, it's with a bandage, I think. I, I guess the Japanese consumers weren't ready for the scars back then, I guess. <laughs> Only in the wrestling ring. Yeah, and those are not all the commercials. I couldn't find all the commercials. I found, like, um, I think there are a few other commercials that I couldn't find uh, find videos of them or any pictures or anything. I think one of them was for a ramen company. And uh, and you got to think and figure. Like, I remember hearing uh, Gene Simmons of KISS saying um, once about their, like, um, merchandise and licensing deals like he says that the craziest merchandise of kiss is found in japan yes i have heard that licensed uh kiss for every product possible like if you go to japan back i guess in the 70s and 80s you couldn't find like a product that didn't have like a kiss uh kiss on it or it's uh, endorsed by kiss back then so you got to figure that the same would happen for Abdullah the Butcher if he's that big in Japan as we saw. So that's one thing I didn't want to delve into in the video because I couldn't find a lot of examples of Abdullah the Butcher endorsed products, let's say, or merchandise. But till today, you can find like new merchandise being made of Abdullah the Butcher in Japan, whether it's T-shirts, plushies, 
socks I think I found and you know so earlier in the program I had another guest on uh, Pat LaProd and he was discussing how big uh, Abdul the Butcher was in the Montreal the Quebec uh, scene and it's it's international it's crazy but like how it's like you know he's huge in Montreal he's huge in Japan he was massive in Puerto Rico as well it's insane that you know Abdul the Butcher from Windsor Ontario is just transcends all these boundaries and then you know because because we're talking oh what what are we 30 years past his his real like the real high of his career in Mont- in Japan sorry and we're still talking about it and you're still finding these references and these these call outs or shout outs or however you want to phrase it to me it just like that's how you can tell that somebody has transcended all of this time and and really what his legacy means to something is is how prevalent he still is in society to me it's incredible yeah and the one thing like that's really disappointing and it's a shame that he's not popular here in the middle east based on his gimmick you'd think he'd be popular here but that's like i mentioned before we didn't get anything but wwe mostly and because you know a lot of territories i'm guessing in canada didn't even have tvs probably uh, or not as much it was very regional here so like for myself i'm in winnipeg we would get AWA for sure because we're very close to Minnesota. That was Vern Gagne's territory. Uh, we would get a little bit of Stampede, and then you know maybe you get some Maple Leaf out of Toronto. But when when you're it, depending on where you are in the country, that's what you're getting. Yeah, and it's easier for you to get like the uh, Montreal f- footage if it's available, and if you're seeking them out and all that. Yeah, for, whereas for yourself, it's kind of either you got it when you did or now it's trying to go back through the archives what's available and maybe yeah. you can find it that way. Yeah, if it's not on YouTube, I can't see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's there's another part of your video I've been dying to ask you about. So you went into the, the movie and film. And, <laughs> yes, you. I know you know where I'm going, but we, we, you yeah. went... You went and you did a fantastic job, by the way, as well. Going into the uh, the TV and film career of Abdul the Butcher, I I'm dying to know and tell everybody why I'm dying to know this after the fact. But I'm dying to know: Have you watched Caged Men yet? Okay, uh, if you notice that I've spent a lot of time talking about Caged Men because I couldn't like just go through it passing by and not mention everything about the movie <laughs> because it's so interesting and unfortunately no because I'm trying to find uh, a specific version of the movie because there are two versions and I did find one on Amazon but not the version I want and it was kind of expensive and silly for a movie <laughs> <laughs> like that you know I think it's uh, like a like a film student like a film student made it it was like a college movie or like what we call today maybe an indie movie or whatever so yeah (laughs) but it is very interesting and um, yeah I couldn't get it on time for my birthday because the movie was released on my birthday and it was its 50th anniversary so I thought it would be a great idea but since I couldn't make it I said okay probably next time or next year sorry 
I think I rewatched that part of your video like three or four times because I couldn't believe like what a coincidence. And plus, like the movie looks really interesting, and it, it, again, it's a shame they don't they don't have Abdullah the Butcher in the trailer because you probably a lot of people would watch the trailer would recognize him. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and the the, the second version of the movie. Uh, I don't know if you noticed it. I uh, like I flashed Maria's uh, what's her name Maria Canales picture. Yeah, because th- the second version of the movie, I guess she had like a show or an internet show where she reviews like bad movies, and that's the second version. Like, <laughs> I I guess it's like kind of uh, what's her name Alvira. Like oh yes, yes, yes. I know what you're talking about for like the yeah, Monster was- Theater or whatever it was called. Yeah, it was a kind of deal like that where she reviews bad movies and, like, coincidentally, she reviewed that movie or watched it or presented it or whatever. So that's the second version uh, of the movie you can find that's on DVD, but I want the original version. Yeah, if anybody out there in uh, podcast land, because we do reach a very international audience, if anybody has a version of that video or movie, I should say, uh, please email me, and I will be happily able to forward it on to uh, to Iad. And because and, yeah, that's something we gotta see. I'm looking yeah. at you, Pat Laprade. Maybe you got it. So yeah, and the, uh, we have to mention that the movie has multiple names. So it's Caged Man or Caged Man and One Woman or uh, yeah, it's got the, the longest one. title I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, I'm gonna get you, Elliot. Boy. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's weird. It's but yeah. The trailer doesn't look interesting at all, but you know. <laughs> but when you when you know, and then the fact that uh, was it Quentin Tarantino showcased it as part of his his big showcase. Festival, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. How incredible is that? Yeah, and that was like something I discovered later on. Like I already record. I think I already recorded that part. And then I found out that I found that link to Tarantino Fest because it kept popping up every time I go into IMDb. So I'm like, why is this link popping up? It's like from 2006. I'm like, okay. And I went in, and the movie was there. Incredible. So, yeah, if Tarantino thinks the movie has got something. <laughs> I gotta watch it's, it. It's got to have it. Yeah, for sure it does. So, uh, in terms of like we've covered his video and then one thing about abdullah's tv appearances sorry yes interrupt. please no please interrupt uh, go ahead apparently in japan he would have done the you know the talk shows the japanese talk shows morning talk shows and uh, apparently a lot of uh, you know the japanese game shows but again no footage no picture no even not a lot of details you can find about that online but that's at least I, i've seen at least few pictures of those that's where it's so fascinating his career so in north america he would always have normally they you would call them a manager but for him they were the handler and the handler would do all the talking whether it was uh creechman or gary hart or whoever but i i'm so intrigued that in japan he would speak for himself and his promos in japan i don't know if you ever seen any of them actually i think you featured one in your video uh, his, his yes, <laughs> when he's and we are gonna feature that 
promo clip after this one. So for all you folks listening out there, if you don't know what we're talking about, you're going to hear it after I'm off the call here. But yes, his his uh, Japanese delivery is exactly what you think it would be coming from Abdullah the Butcher. Yeah, and by the way, the video was way too long. I guess it was like approaching 50 minutes because of the things I wanted to put in. And because I kind of... Uh, talk more about the games and stuff but I decided to cut all that stuff out but I think one promo I found was him wishing Giant Baba a happy new year <laughs> in the <laughs> ring that was hilarious I love it you know what he's he's one of these um, I don't want to use the word character because that's a poor representation of what no, he actually no, meant but he 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 transcends that a hundred percent. But he is yeah. one of the most fascinating people because there is so many stories about him, and there's so many there's so much conjecture, and there's so much out there in the ether that people don't really know about. And that's why I loved that you brought this whole dynamic that hasn't really been explored, at least here in North America. So. Again, I cannot stress it enough. You did just a, an unbelievably fantastic job diving into into his what he meant to Japan. It just again, I, I said I know I've said it a bunch of times. I said it to you via message. I'm blown away, and and what you did is just incredible. And I I'll probably watch it a bunch more times because I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, thanks again, Tax Man. <laughs> uh, I'm really happy to hear that. And look what happened. Uh, uh, we're talking Bahrain to uh, Winnipeg, so it's cool. Yeah, unbelievable. Just talking about Abby, that's that's how strong his influence is, and like like you said, how big of a I, again, I don't want to say character because that's one of the many words he doesn't like, and he never uses. Uh, here we're still talking about him but uh yeah it's crazy to that a guy from windsor ontario draws a guy from winnipeg and <laughs> to your to your video and then we're talking where like i said it's it's friday where you live it's thursday here it's crazy yeah and he's supposed to be from sudan so <laughs> yeah well yes we'll we'll keep it kayfabe a little bit japan. here and we're talking about him in japan incredible and uh, you mentioned earlier that there are so many stories about him, and I'm pretty sure there are so many stories that haven't even been told yet about him. And I'm sure they will eventually. I think the reason of that is, and I had some, I have somebody else on the program, which everybody's going to hear a little bit later. There are a lot of people that have a ton of respect for him still, and they will not talk about the stories regarding him until either he says it's okay or he passes away and hopefully that's a long time from now but unfortunately where and this is something I touch on during the course of the podcast as well is you know a lot of people are very willing to come out and say the negative things about him some of which are not true some of which are but there's context behind it whereas a lot of the positive and a lot of a lot of the friendship part portion of it and a lot of what he 
brought to like you're never going to hear the fact that he, you know he would you know see sick children at a children's hospital here in Canada. You never hear that in, in on a on a YouTube video, right? I've never heard that. This is the first time, and I think uh, I would believe that because um, if you notice a lot of his Japanese interviews, like he never did like you know shoot interviews in the U.S. until recently, probably. I've, I've probably only seen one or two of him uh, in like stateside, uh, and he's still in character, let's say. Yes. In those interviews, but in the Japanese interviews, you see he speaks English. He doesn't care, you know, over there. Yeah. So almost consistently, in a lot of interviews, he does. He always says, "Take care of your mother. Take care of your father. Don't throw them in an elderly home." and you know these things and help like the elderly when you see them on the street and you know uh, he talks about the homeless he talks about you know it's uh, I think you should highlight these things you know it's the talk about. yeah for, sorry I didn't mean to cut you off but it's, it's very much the two sides like everybody always says there's two sides of a coin but legitimately there's two sides to Abby and I feel like the the gory, bloody, whatever version is the one that we always seem to focus on as as wrestling fans, and we kind of don't do a do do a disservice, if you will, to look at the other side of it. Yeah, that's the spicy part of his story, I guess. It's the one that will get clicks, and, yes, uh, views. But yeah, the the other side is just as interesting and even better, probably. All right, so as we uh. As we look to wrap up this portion of the program, uh, what do you have coming down the pipeline right now? Um, for the English Channel 1001 Games, um, I probably have a few videos uh, that I haven't completed writing yet, but I recently got this, <laughs> I don't want to say vision, but let's say... Um, no, you can say vision. Vision is good. <laughs> Come on okay, now. So, it will make sense when I release the video because I came to this idea. It was very weird. I can't say the idea because it's so crazy, but it does involve wrestling. And let's say it involves, um, uh, what should I say? I don't want to say politics, but let's say like the phenomenons we see on the internet today with, uh, it's weird, but you know, the internet kind of has its own characteristics these days. So yes, it does. All that, uh, things that go trendy, things that don't go trendy. And uh, like we just mentioned, you know, the spicy stuff, uh, people will share negative stuff, people will share. So this is, a again, another completely different view and perspective of wrestling. And some people in the wrestling communities that, you know, I don't want to give anything away because... I yeah, please don't spoil it too much. Yeah, but it, uh, it it is wrestling, but from a completely different angle and perspective. And you can say it's like looking at things from the inside out. Perfect. And uh, while so we're I'll, here... I'll try, I'll try to give you like, uh, not a hint, but let's say a possible title. Like the... Internet wrestling, internet internet culture in 2021. Let's say, <laughs> and I can always see people's faces melting. 
<laughs> uh, while we're here as well, can you plug your Arabic channel? My okay, my Arabic channel is um, for geek size only. Um, I focus on retro games, but I do play uh, review modern games, and uh, from time to time I do these. Like I don't want to say a video like the Abdullah the Butcher one, but yeah, something close to that. And the Abdullah the Butcher video, I was gonna do it in Arabic, but I kind of like did some focus group and asked a lot of people, and uh, you know, not there wasn't a lot of interest in the topic because, like I said. He, Nobody knows him over here, for the most part, unless you're a diehard hardcore, hardcore wrestling fan. Well, perhaps, so, uh, perhaps this program will change their mind. <laughs> so the Arabic channel is for geek size only, and it's mainly a gaming channel. But I do wrestling topics from time to time. Like I said in the previous segment, I'm going to play some classic audio now. This is Abdullah the Butcher, the infamous promo that we had discussed with Iad in the previous segment. So I'm going to play that, and then on the other side, you're going to hear my conversation with Dr. Mike Leno. Now, I want to preface something before we get into that. Uh, we were talking off-air about his time on Busted Open Radio, where he was also having a discussion with Dr. Britt Baker. So when you hear him at the start of the program, we kind of are taking over from where we were talking off air. So when he's referring to her, quote unquote, he's talking about Dr. Brett Baker when they were both featured on Busted Open Radio. So just to clear up any any confusion, I don't think it would be confusing, but if it was, uh, that's where it comes from. So like I said, I'm going to play some classic Abdul the Butcher. And then on the other side, my conversation with the original dentist of wrestling, Dr. Mike Leno. I'm not worrying about these other little gorillas. I am only worrying about Tenyu. Me and my partner Gocho is going to beat the living shit out of Tenyu. I've been chasing Tenyu for many, many years. Now I finally got the chance to come to Japan and fight Tenyu. He's not hungry no more, but I'm here to beat him up. I'm going to beat him up with my fork, with my fist, and I have something beautiful for Tenyu. Uh, he never felt the fork, but he's going to feel it. I'm going to make sure that this keeps going into his head, into his back, into his stomach. I'm going to shove it all the way up his ass. Tenyu! Come after me! I'm coming for you! I dream about you! I can't sleep at night, but I'm coming, Tenyu! I'm here in Japan now, Tenyu! Tenyu! I'm not worried about these other little people who you got around you! I'm gonna stop you, Tenyu! I'm gonna stop you! Ten years ago, you made a statement. I have never forgot the statement what you made. I remember you in Atlanta, Georgia, when you were hungry. You didn't beat me then, and you're not going to beat me now. Come on, Tenyu. Taste it. Taste the fork. But you're eating you now. Come on, Tenyu. Come on. Come on. All right. Very happy to be joined on the line right now by the dentist extraordinaire himself, Dr. Mike Leno. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing good. I just want to remind your great audience that I was wrestling's first dentist. 
we're talking 98, excuse me, 1982 and I got out of school. So when I was on Busted Open with her, I put her to shame. Uh, but she is super talented, uh, my favorite female wrestler now to watch anyway. So I was first before her. Uh, I have a DDS degree. She's got DMD. The DMD degree is uh, east of Missouri. West of uh, Missouri is a DDS or doctor of dental surgery. That's, so that's what that is. That's we're tremendous. Yes, right. sir, we are. Yes, the the soup du jour, if you will, today, uh, talking about Abdul the Butcher. Now, we were talking back and forth uh, through via email, and I found it interesting, kind of your your happenstance and how you came upon Abby. But before then, uh, just tell you, the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you kind of got into the uh, wrestling business before we get into the uh, Abby discussion. Well, I ran uh, fan clubs. I co-ran the Fred Blassie one, most notably, when my boss, my, my two territories shooting ringside for the program, and then I soon got hired by the magazines that flew me all over the world to shoot the stuff. Uh, but my, my most famous fan club was, uh, well, the one of two. I uh, ran uh, Blassie's fan club with John Arizzi. He actually, John had asked uh, my, my immediate L.A. territory boss. So my two territories shooting ringside for our programs, and then the magazines were Los Angeles and San Francisco, secondarily. And um, so when my boss, Jeff Walton, who later became a heel manager when our promotion sold to Vince Jr., the first to sell out, he bought it in December, December 18th in 1982. We bought the long-running Los Angeles Historical Territory, the Hollywood office, uh, Vince did in preference for what he'd be doing two years later, uh, or a year and a half, whatever the timing is. Um, but uh, we, so we uh, ran the Blassie fan club. I was the VP, John the president, and then I ran at the same time the Tolos Brothers fan club. But anyway, um, and that paid my way through dental school, uh, and I've been doing it you know, ever since multiple trips to Japan, I basically almost lived there from about December 1990 through uh, much of 91, the end of 91. And um, so, I, but I'd known Abby, I'd actually met him first when he came into Los Angeles territory in 1970. And he came in very briefly, it was for our, uh, our first battle royal. Um, and, you know, he's, I, I trademarked the name Skinny Abby because I started calling him that. <laughs> That's right, too. Some of, my, in, in some of my magazine articles. So I've worked and shot, written, shot, and column for every newsstand magazine on the planet. I freelanced for WWEs since uh, December of 83. It was then called Victory Magazine. And I think they had to change that title quick because there already was a Victory Sports Series from Kappa Publishing. But I worked for PWI. I worked for the only... Uh, writer photographer who worked for both Japanese weeklies, Shukan Gong, Weekly Gong, Shukan Pro, at the same time. Uh, you know, working for uh, my longtime Gong editor Wally Yamaguchi, who later became in WWF. Uh, I don't know the manager Kai Entai. Is, That's right. Uh, well, uh, Yamaguchi San PP Chop Chop PP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My other big uh, editor at the competition was Fumi Saito of baseball, you know, Shukan Pro Baseball, uh, which really is the only one left now that Gong had a Yakuza scandal and went under. But I met Abby. He came into Los Angeles territory for a very first big annual, what would become annual, 22-man battle royal, January 
1970. And he, every time I talked to him, I always, because he asked me, I, he was my main event. Well, I'll get into that in a sec. But he came in with a midget manager, not Eddie Creechman, not uh, Ernie Roth, Abdullah Farouk, or any of the greats, or, you know, Gary Hart, or anybody he would have much later on. Uh, and that brings me up to just last year during uh, COVID time. Uh, I was part of all of the COVID con uh, marathons. They were like two to three days worth of, uh, you know, every hour we would change who the people were. Yes. And I booked uh, Terry Funk and Abdul the Butcher for, uh, I think it was the Collicon to benefit Cauliflower Alley Club. And I had the very last big segment, the longest segment, you know, a little over an hour and a half. Uh, but because of Terry's health, even then, and I've known about Terry's health for really since this way, Vicky died. So it's been two years. But anyway, so Abby tells me on that. So Abby was early. He's got a new female in his life, and her son is a computer whiz. So anyway, Abby told me on the show out of the blue, he goes, you're going to write my book with me. So Come on. He, oh, yeah. So that's how that was revealed. And, you know, he he has this rep. It's funny about being late to stuff or no showing, but... I've never, he's never done that on to me, but then I don't have to deal with it monetarily. But I have <laughs> a of funny stories about him. So he doesn't recall that. And it was pretty cool because he had matches with Rocky Johnson, with Blassie, with Babyface. I think that's the only place on earth where Abby ever worked with Blassie. Uh, and he had a match with the Giant Bob at my Olympic Auditorium. And then he left and we never saw him again. But that brings us up. I'm just going to float through a ton of stuff on, on Abby, I guess. I, I, uh, anyway, uh, one of my more memorable memories was uh, we're on our way to a, a Joel Goodhart TWA show in Philadelphia, and that was the forerunner for ECW. Uh, Todd Gordon was sort of uh, Joel's assistant. So I'm with both Abby and Sheik and uh, Sabu. Who was There's there. a crew, um, Jesus. Sabu, Terry is driving uh, Sheik's limo, so we're going to Goodhart's show, and uh, it was kind of cold. It was, uh, I forget if there was snow on the ground, but Sheik said stop the car, and he wanted to get out and just, he had uh, like a, a tri-mirrored thing to tan himself, so he stripped down to his, like, his <laughs> underwear, and we're in a parking lot at a Shoney's, and he, a uh, restaurant, and he, uh, he's like tanning himself. And, uh, and then Abby and I are looking, and uh, Sheik pulls out a dry razor and he, to get ready for the show. He starts shaving his chest and his legs with a dry, no water, no oh. shaving, nothing. So he'd done it so many years, and I look at Abby, and I said something like, what the F is, what is he doing? So, uh, and, and then that brings us to me managing uh Sheik against Abby on a, a Gordon Scazzari fiasco TV taping, and then at another one that was at Lowell, Massachusetts, a longtime Vince senior venue uh, for Scazzari. I managed Sheik and Sabu. I forgot what we called them, the something Middle East connection. But you know, for Joel Goodhart's thing, Terry shows up. We actually had to talk him into allowing Sabu into the Reverse Battle Royal, which was the opener that night on top Sheik, Abby, in the cage. I'm with all the participants. And uh, we we really put him over in the Sheik. You know, there was the three of us put him over. So anyway, 
Goodhart agreed, and he had Sabu go over in this thing. He'd never even seen him, sight unseen. He, he wasn't really booked to work that night. Um, and, and then a couple of years later, uh, Mick Foley, who I've known since the Shane Douglas training day, you know, very good guy, very ethical, super sharp guy. I've always loved Mick. He and Abby came in. Um, they were, you know, coming into uh, our territory for a WCW house show. So it must have been 92. So I think on top was Sting against uh, Oz, Kevin Nash, uh, shitty match. Yeah. But anyway, so Mick I'd been seeing regularly because he and his wife Colette would come in. And one of the more fun memories, uh, they came in because I, I was cleaning the, both of their teeth and then made a, a partial plate to replace Mick's two lost teeth. This was on a Saturday, and we had TV in my my uh, office waiting room, so it must have been 91. Whenever Flair debuted at Superstars on that Saturday, because that's when we got that syndicated show in the San Francisco, Oakland area, we're watching it. I'm, I'm filming Mick's reaction to seeing Flair debut in WWF. <laughs> and then Colette takes my camera and the film camera, and she films me... Uh, working on Mick and then we did a, a stunt thing for PWI magazine where he was elbow pretending to elbow drop me and we had put the, the my dental white uh, lab gown on Mick and the uh, mask and the, the the loops the dental glasses the magnification glasses yeah and uh, he she took all these pictures that we sent in and PWI ran them with Mick Foley doing dentistry <laughs> So Abby's, so Abby was in there, but uh, I didn't have any staff in there that day. So a couple of weeks later, it was only Mick scheduled to come in, and he brings in Abby with him, and he goes, he comes to the waiting room, goes, Mike, look who I brought with me, and Abby had my my favorite gimmick to ask Abby to do is put the poker chips into his vertical scars. That's right. And it goes up to my front desk with some poker chips in those scars. She screamed. Long story short, you know, I took an impression for him. He needed a lower partial plate. And uh, then he took us out to uh, Chinatown, which was a few blocks from my dental office in Union Square, San Francisco. And we go there, and two funny things. During the course of the, the meal, we get up, and there was like a buffet area for some stuff. This was a really good, uh, and it was a Cantonese. It was a hot Chinese. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't boring Mandarin, uh, you know stuff but Abby uh, did a couple of things he must have piled up about 60 pot stickers on his plate he ate every one of them <laughs> and then and then he needed some tongs they were out of his reach so he says to like one of the helpers there and Nick and I are standing right next to him he goes to one of the restaurant workers he goes uh, hey hon would you, you hand me that gimmick she didn't know what he was talking about he meant the tongs <laughs> so that was funny and then um he picks up the check and he goes, Mike, I want you to tell Meltzer who's written about how cheap I am or whatever. I want you Come to on. I want you to tell him I picked up the check. So I, of course did, you know, a little later on. And from there we went to go see in, uh, uh, off Van S street in the, you know, the big commercialized where all the restaurants and stuff were on the way to Fisherman's Worth. They wanted to go see Donnie Darko. So we go and see that. And I drive them to the WCW show that night where they had a match against each other. What a so, day. Unbelievable. Um, 
lot of fun stuff shooting him uh, with all these different managers. I photographed him with Creechman and with Gary Hart. Never with Ernie Roth in any of his guises, which I assume would be Abdullah Farouk, probably at uh, Toronto Maple Leaf Gardens. Um, and I remember, she's uh, uh, Abby versus Sheik there, and Abby versus Igor, and Tony Marino and stuff, uh, and Tiger Cheat Singh Sr., who is one of my all-time favorites. And uh, and then another time, I'm sure you you heard the the battle of, uh, like I had Abby on uh, a show with me and George Cannon before we lost George Cannon years ago. And Abby always claimed that he came up with his gimmick while she claimed that he came up with most of Abby's gimmick. And George Cannon also said he came up with all of Abby's gimmick. So Abby confronted George Cannon. I was trying to recall what happened, but George stood his ground and said, nope, nope, he helped transform Larry Shreve into uh, Abby, which is really funny because the two shows I had Abby on last year, including that uh, COVID con marathon thing, he now just wants to be called Larry Shreve. And they, uh, his new, I don't know if they're married yet, but his new uh, gal and her son, they have all this tons of marketing stuff. You know, Larry Shreve, AKA Abdul the Butcher. I don't know if I, and he had a, about a shitload of shirts, like 50, 60 Abby shirts, but a lot of them have his real name on there. I don't know if I would want that now. Here's another fun thing, though. I'm, we've got limited time, so I'm really spewing out the uh, Abby memories. I'm with him in Japan at Karaku on uh, January 4th, I, guess, I think the date was, of, uh, of 1991, where, again, I practically lived there for most of 1991. Uh, on that particular tour, I was there uh, two weeks in January and then came back for most of March and so on. But we're in Karaku, and... Uh, in Japan, they celebrate it as a week, not as, as New Year's Day, but New Year's week. So uh, Abby's on the very first show of the year uh, at the Dome, uh, excuse me, at the Karakuen, which was very close to the, it's in the same sports entertainment complex that the Tokyo Egg Dome is that they shot too. Yeah. But he's on this All Japan show. And I remember sitting with him in the back, and uh, this was after a, a Misawa-Stan Hansen match, and he said something like, Jesus, you guys are stiff to both those guys because he was watching on a monitor. And then uh, he had, I think, a match where he destroyed Kikuchi, who was one of these wonderful comeback great wrestlers at the time. I, I don't know what happened to him, why he might have left the biz. You know, that happens. But this was a first, and then he gets on the mic, for the very first time, he never talked anywhere in public, and he was able to draw it out. He holds the mic up to his mouth, and he teases for about three, four minutes. He finally goes very slowly, happy, new year. And the place went ballistic. Come on, yeah, no kidding. That was 1991. To my knowledge, the first time he'd ever spoken publicly. He'd never spoken on uh, Australian TV or in Detroit. You know, the Sheik's own promotion at Kobo was the main venue. Um and, and to hear the audience go nuts and, and some of the other times I shot Abby in Japan um, he um, you know would, would sometimes go outside the ring a lot as you know and do all that stuff the way Brody and Hanson did but he uh, he like uh, accidentally hit a fan it wasn't really a clothesline or something like that but the fans would either scatter or they would stand there wanting to be touched by the wrestlers 
And in uh, Japanese, the fan goes, I will never wash my throat again after you get close like <laughs> And here, in, in, at least in the U.S., you know that those idiot fans would sue. But there, it was a badge of honor. And I kind of thought, oh, that's pretty cool. So I really like what we call okugai or fans or mark. That's the Japanese slang word for fans or marks. Uh, some other stuff I remember on Joel Goodhart shows and even WCW is Abby would go out of his way if they uh, they had Mecca Wish there and they had some disabled kids in wheelchairs. You know, Abby would say, "Oh, come here, Mike. I want you to take my picture with some of these kids," and then you send them the picture. So I would send the picture, the parents, the pictures later. Yeah, Abby. So Abby has a real kind side. A lot of people don't know. Not that he's a perfect human being. You know, nobody is. But he, uh, he would sit down and talk and autograph and sign their shirts or whatever they wanted him to sign. And he would make sure they weren't scared of him because, you know, even with that squeaky voice, just his look is obviously intimidating. And uh, I, I'm thinking backstage there's something. I, I, I forget if it was... Was it Kevin Sullivan? Somebody told him, uh, kidding him about, you know, as the years go by, which Meltzer's written about, his tights kept going higher and higher above his man boobs. <laughs> I, I mean, no disrespect, but I'm saying I forgot which worker said something like, uh, you know, Abby, you're going to have to get a man's ear or something like that. He didn't need to get a bro from uh, Kramer so I, and I, I yeah. <laughs> I, I forgot, maybe Kevin Sullivan said something like a man bra. So he was ahead of that Seinfeld episode by about three years. It, it's funny, I, I've been reading a, a lot about things, like little tidbits like that in my research, and you know, you hear, and this is kind of the, the unfortunate part of, of wrestling nowadays, and you know how prevalent the internet is, you are, if you read Abby's stories, you're reading 10 negative ones. Right, and it's all he was this, or you know, he treated this guy poorly, or and I'm not even going to get into the thing with what's his name. There, somebody we talked about off air, a fellow Canadian who I wish he wasn't sometimes, but that's another story. But it's funny to, to well, that read. Piece of shit, if that piece of shit is going to, we're not talking about Abby, who in my book is aces. He's a good, good guy, one of the greatest heels of all time internationally, everywhere he went. I think he even had one Mexico tour with Alan Koash, bad news. But primarily, obviously, it's Japan, Puerto Rico, U.S. for him. Yes. But that whole piece of shit was bad-mouthing Bruce Hart and Ross Hart, who trained and broke him in, particularly Bruce. And that's we were on, I forget who's Canadian podcast, but the, those are like the last day. Those are like brothers to me, Bruce and Ross. And, you know, I, I went off on, on this guy that we had on tour. I guess he got scared and hung up, but uh, on the show, but uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people have whatever to say. Uh, here, that that kind of brings me to something even before that, because uh, Abby on the second to the last Joel Goodhart TWA show, Abby gigged Jimmy Suzuki, who actually asked him ahead of time to do it at ringside. So we're a bunch of us, the photographers from, we're all there at ringside, and he went after Jim. So the next show, which ended up to our non-knowledge being the last Joel Goodhart show, I had printed up these special band-aids, giant band-aids, and gave that to all of us photographers ringside, including Napolitano and after, I think, 
no, not after he wasn't there. But you know, Jason Ross Lavin and some of the others. Okay. The and it had a, a razor blade drawing with a hash mark over it. Don't gig us. Don't blade us. <laughs> and uh, Jimmy didn't put his on. He was the only one who didn't put his on. But you know, so Abby would chase us around the ring, like Harry Funk did later with the flaming branding iron. But when Abby came into that dressing room, the same with Sheik, when you know we came in all together. They got the bowing. Everybody bowed big time. I'm talking everybody in the business was there. Both Fox, Kevin Sullivan, uh, Rick Rude, uh, Misawa was there, even though he didn't wrestle. Owen Hart uh, wrestled uh, a New Japan kid who worked on that uh, March 21st, 91 Dome show I shot ringside. I can't think of his name now. Uh, but he worked against Liger on uh, on that Dome show. But he worked against Owen Hart in this Medusa was on there because she and Eddie Gilbert had a tag match with uh, Luna and Mick Foley. So all of these big stars, international global stars at the time, are doing the we're not worthy of bowing to Sheik and Abby when they came in. And that, that tells you something. Also, Sheik had a loose molar tooth, which I had a little crash cart with me. I always keep around and I extracted it in front of not all of them, but some of the wrestlers there. I think... Uh, Tony Stetson, Johnny Hotbody, watch me take out. <laughs> I had some topical I put on with a Q-tip, and you know, because it was really bothering him, it had been bothering him. And, uh, he was, you know, his tongue kept going to it. So I could say I uh, that I, I did treat a number of wrestlers actually at my dental office, from Ray Stevens to Pepper Gomez to Kenji Shibuya, Mitsuarokawa, Ray Stevens wrestler wife Teresa Thies. John Swinsky, who was the NWA World Junior Weight Heavy Champion, like in the 30s or 40s. So uh, I never did, uh, well, actually, no, I did dentistry on, uh, I never did it on Sabu with Sheik and, and Abby and, and Mick Foley. So that's not too bad for uh, hardcore wrestlers. But a pretty good, uh, pretty good cavalcade of characters, at least. <laughs> I guess um, just in terms of, I want to go almost to the very beginning because there's a question that I, I've been looking for and I can't, couldn't find the answer for it. And I was curious to get your take or what you thought of it anyway. So when you had first run into Abby, did you hear of him before? Or when you met him, was that the first time you ever heard of him as well? Oh, no. No, no. I, I read about him and I think the magazines had done the stuff with him, uh, I think, working for Eddie Quinn in Montreal, being managed by Tony Angelo, where he was, uh, it was all kind of a work, but he put raw chicken in his mouth. So I already yes. seen all this barbaric stuff. Yeah, you know, we had a number, not a lot of crazy wrestlers, because Tiger Jeet Singh wasn't doing his crazy act. He was still a, a very good, beloved babyface, Indian, Canadian babyface. Uh, so we didn't have that many crazy wrestlers. It was really the Sheik, and then Abby now was the second coming, the second generation. Uh, we, you know, in the 70s, there's a proliferation of them, but I already knew about Abby's reputation and uh, that he was, you know, had some judo uh, training and stuff because he wore that kind of a gi. And uh, again, that's the photos I look at, I took of him. When I had him published decades later, that's when I coined the phrase uh, "skinny Abby" because, you know, he he did like to eat and have fine wine and stuff. 
so I, I knew of him, but his uh, you can't experience Abby until you finally see him. So like yes. all, all I know is reading Mark magazines and seeing the pictures, and then seeing him do all this insane stuff uh, with you know gimmicks. Um, and uh, he was using something other than I think he was using like a Sheik's pencil. He wasn't quite using the fork then. So uh, just. You know, wow, a lot of fun uh, stuff, a lot of fun times. Um, uh, and I'm going to be having some of these stories. Uh, Brian Solomon, who used to write for PWI, I think he also worked for WWF, the magazine, years back. He's got a new book coming out on the, the sheet. You know, when the sheet died, his widow, who I was close to, Joyce Farhad, asked me to ghostwrite it with her. And you know, doing a book for anybody that's done a, a particular wrestling book, it's a labor of love. You put in years and years of research and work, and you might not make much money. You know, some great books like uh, Pat and uh, Bertrand's book, yes. Andre, for example, do make money. You know, fabulous book, but there's a lot of fabulous wrestling books where they really didn't make a lot of money. And, uh, you know, I kind of regret not doing it with her. I just, I was doing Johnny Valentine's book, Rib, and I just couldn't do the Sheiks at the time. So Brian Solomon's going to be doing it. I should have, you know, a certain amount of photos and some stories of both Sheik and Abby uh, through the decades and uh, and how the Sheik's territory soon became a, a crazy person's territory in that he had a lot of characters, uh, Abby being one of them, but then there was a guy who was a very close friend of mine for 40, 50 years, Pendero Furpo, did a crazy man act. Oh, yeah! And Randy Savage admitted to lifting that because he got that because he and his dad and brother came into the Sheik's territory around 76, and, uh, and they had watched the TV and stuff, so Randy, uh, Randy took the uh, Pomp and Circumstance ring entrance music from Gorgeous George, who was the very first guy to use ring entrance music yep. in 1949. Buddy Rogers being the second with uh, the Nature Boy song by Nat King Cole a little later. But he took the Ouya from Pampero Furpa, who always did it, and he did it differently. Randy put his own spin on it. But then you had J.B. Psycho, who actually, according to what she told me, was the Sheik's gardener. And he turned him into like a Moondog Main crazy character. Lonnie Moondog Main, the real one, toured, came through, did a couple of shots of Kobo. Uh, Killer Kowalski was in there, and he was like one of the. Actually, he and Sheik are my. Abby's, you know, down the list a little in the top 10 greatest uh, TV generation heels of all time because Killer Kowalski, when he came into Los Angeles, and he's on cards with. Uh, Sheik and Superstar Graham and you know, some other great heels of the day and uh, all these other fantastic baby faces and uh, man those two guys well the three of them but Sheik Kowalski Killer Kowalski and Abby just amazing entertaining heels and you saw these you know there was a ton of crazy characters Killer Jim Brooks and uh I know there was more. Tiger Cheat Singh eventually. Yeah, because he eventually went nuts. Yeah, you know, he would be a little crazier when I'd see him in New Japan, like on that Dome show. One of the most fun shows I ever shot 
was Tokyo Egg Dome, March 21st, 1991. Now, Abby wasn't on that show, but there was a ton of talent. And for the greatest 18 championship, I don't know what New Japan did with it, but Ricky Chosu defended it against Tiger Jeet Singh. Total bloodbath. And I think Singh had his sword, his famous sword, was gimmicked so uh, blood would come out of it. <laughs> I was told it was cow's blood. They didn't use theater blood. They used cow's blood. And, uh, you know, similar to when Abby had a gimmicked fork where blood could squirt out of that. Yeah, but but if you ask anybody who got the fork, oh, it was horrible and, and they're, they're going to lose their eye and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, since uh, the death of kayfabe, which... I'm guessing probably was when Vince went to, he had that news press conference with the Wall Street Journal, all these top newspapers, New York Times, to avoid having to pay, allegedly. So this whole show, everything out of my mouth is prefaced with allegedly. Yes. He held the press conference, whatever year it was, 91, 92, to let them all know that uh, his WWF was no different than the circus, basically to not have to pay for ringside doctors anymore or the commissions. Yeah, I was gonna say, was that not spurned from uh, from a, a big deal in Jersey? He wanted to get into J- New Jersey, and their their uh, athletic commission fees were something crazy, so he came out and did that. Uh, he was he was already in Jersey. It was oh, Oregon. was he? Oh, oh, okay. Oregon and Washington State were insane. Their commissions were really awful. So I, I get it, but then to totally you know say it's no different than the circus, and then. A couple of years later, we'd see right on his own TV, uh, Sean Waltman wearing a Mesark. Well, I, maybe it was WCW Nitro. You know, no, 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 no. That was uh, that was when they did the the Nation thing. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, he had the Mizark, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, even now, lately, Jim Ross has been the, the, the she's nits. And, you know, those guys have been talking Carney, which is sad because anytime I go into the locker rooms, most of the young boys don't even know Carney. None of these guys. They don't know it. Uh, it kind of breaks my heart. Uh, but, you know, that whole lost art is, is gone, and it's a, a new level of exciting wrestling. You know, I, I watch, I have to cover and write about all the shows. I enjoy, you know, most all of them, including the 12-hour days of Impact. Yeah, <laughs> Thursdays. They will first show at noon my time, California time, a four-hour old classic TNA pay-per-view. Why they will show that with all those great AJ Styles matches when you know later on, until fairly recently, the Impact shows were not as good as the, the old TNA stuff, you know, loaded with junior heavyweights and all this excitement. And, and then uh, you have what you have now, currently. Yeah, so you have four hours, so that's my Impact day. You have four hours of a TNA pay-per-view. Then you have Before the Impact, which is fine it's a good recap and then they give you a free bonus match at the end so it's definitely worth watching the only thing that i cannot fathom i've asked tommy dreamer who won't give me an answer back is why do they have that guy Iceman intel on there he is not providing any intel who's who is he related to the guy has this segment and he basically goes not every week but most weeks you know he'll say some kind of thing that's vague and you go, well, I can't tell you who it is. I can't tell you when or where, you know. What's the purpose? It ain't fucking intel. There's no intel to be had on that thing. So scratch that. It's probably one of the lamest things I've ever seen in wrestling. So I like otherwise everything about Before the Impact. And even that, it's so cheesy. 
but it makes no sense to me. And I can't get an answer for Tommy Dreamer. What do you have this guy on for? <laughs> Other than maybe he is there to entice people to stay on and watch the two hours of Impact, which is fine. They've got so many surprises and new stars. That's a can't-miss show. And then after that, they'll have, like, another hour, best of TNA, or if it's before a big pay-per-view, you know, this is Slammiversary, whole hour. Yeah, then. yeah. It almost feels like it's a 12-hour day of impact. And uh, even then, I would rather watch those 12 hours or close to 12 hours than the three-hour Raw. But that's all another story. Oh, that's, if, yeah, we could, we could spend an hour, not just an hour, but hours on that. Well, this is the thing that killed me. Everybody, I'm sure, is upset. Keith Lee loses. He's gone for since January or whatever it was. Comes back to job. And then carrying Cross. Your job and your NXT champion has been a killer, awesome heel. You can't protect him. You can't put Scarlet with him to do that great entrance. So uh, I'm going to have to be wrapping this up because my wife has come home and we started late. But uh, any other stuff you wanted to? For um, no, um, just basically, uh, if if you if we're going to wrap this up, uh, do you want to let people know? Uh, I know that you're on. Oh, goddamn, I lost count of how many programs you're a part of, but uh, if people wanted to get in touch with you or hear a couple of the programs, why don't you plug a couple of the projects you're working on? Um, I co-host, whenever there's a wrestling guest, Crazy Train Radio. I co-host every uh, week, I, I guess they put them live, uh, Wrestling Coast to Coast with Evan Ginsberg, who's a historian I've known since probably 78, although he's been following wrestling since 74. He comes a little bit after me, but he's a great historian. He's got his, I think, his third book coming out, Evan Ginsberg. So we do that show. I'm on the other stuff. I'm usually on Busted Open maybe every two months uh, to fill them in, like when they wanted to know about uh, Rocky Johnson helping turn Fred Blassie babyface 19, early 1970 Los Angeles, or 69, I'm sorry, late 69 after Blassie had the three series of cage matches over six weeks with the Sheik, Eddie Farad. Now you can imagine the uh, gore of those two guys. <laughs> and, and, and seeing Freddie slowly transform into Los Angeles' most beloved baby face. Uh, my email for anybody, I mean, I've been shooting for decades, you know, every magazine. I just sent some pictures of Bobby Lashley working out to PWI. So my email, if anybody wants to... Uh, Get a hold of me is W R E A L A N O at AOL.com. I know that's, I've had that email since 1992. So it looks like real Lano at AOL.com with a W in front of it. And uh, pretty much most all the documentaries from uh, a lot of the dark sides to the both the A&E documentaries, you know, the WWF supported ones, and then the, uh, uh, the Lost Treasures episodes. I had quite a few photos and uh, a lot of those, the Andre and Flair and, and some of the other ones, Booker T's and Shawn Michaels and stuff. And um, uh, I don't know what else, but I'm uh, always happy to come on this show. I mean, I love Canadian wrestling. Uh, we were talking about uh, uh, Winnipeg wrestling in particular, but uh, I had a history. I was able to, to see wrestling all over the place, Calgary, in Toronto and Montreal, which is one of my favorites during that Bechon Grand Prix versus Rougeau yes. International. What a territory war. That was at the same time as Sheik against Dick the Bruiser in Detroit, which is amazing. And then Ray Gunkel's widow, Ann Gunkel, 
in the very, you know, around 73, 74, taking on the whole NWA office. That's right. It had mass of great bookers, including Cowboy Bill Watts. And she, for maybe about a year and a half, often would outdraw them with her small TV show. And guys like Bruno San Martino, Ernie Ladd, and Ox Baker coming in to help her out against the NWA, which was something. So, but the, the Montreal Wrestling Territory War was one of the absolute best. Everybody in the planet was working for either one of the other groups. Abby for Rougeos and uh, oh my God, every Mulligan and Lanza and Dick the Bruiser would come in and that the very first Jerry Park show in Montreal with uh, Bruno San Martino and Ed Carpanti, the Dream Team, mm-hmm. def- defeating the original Hollywood Blondes. Uh, Roberts and Jerry Brown with Sir Oliver Humperdinck for the Grand Prix World Titles. And on top was uh, heel versus heel, Mad Dog Vashon versus Killer Kowalski, and Don Leo Jonathan against the Sheik. How could you top a card like that? Yeah, and that's incredible. Not even the undercard with all these great guys, all these great talents. Tarzan, Lee Boot, Tyler, and the, uh, oh, the, the LeDuc brothers. So much great stuff. I love today. I still cover and follow it, but I'm a territory guy. And I, I should trademark and make those shirts for wrestling. <laughs> yeah, get those on the pro wrestling tee store. Hey, like <laughs> that's what I'm saying. You know, instead of I'm a Heyman guy or something like that, I'm a territory. Yeah, guy. no doubt. Just, if you did not experience the territories, you, you're not living. They were fantastic. Every territory was unique and fun, like Al Tomko's Winnipeg. I mean, from the fans to the refs to the timekeeper to the TV shows, everything. The talent, of course, was amazing. And uh, so uh, I'm sorry to cut it short. I'm happy to come back anytime. And uh, merci beaucoup. Combate Kurosai in Japanese. And domorigato gozaimashite. Now there's one more piece to the Abdullah the Butcher career puzzle that we need to kind of put into place. And uh, some of you may know this story. And for those of you who don't, I'm going to give a quick summarization of this story, if you will. Um, mostly because I have personal opinions about the individual involved, not Abdullah the Butcher, the other person involved, uh, that I have a hard time separating. And I'm, again, as much as this podcast isn't a full-time job or anything like that, I am trying to keep this professional. So I really don't want my personal opinions on... Uh, this matter to kind of jade the uh, the situation. So I want to give the Coles Nose version. I'm going to read an article from the CBC. If you want to know further about this situation, there's some great articles, uh, like I said, that are available online. What I would not suggest that you do is to go on to YouTube and get your information from the other individual uh, in the involved in the situation and uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm going to read this article and ju- we're going to just uh, wrap this section of, uh, of the Abdul the Butcher story up as we proceed to the finish of the program. Now, Devin Nicholson, a professional wrestler from Ottawa, should receive $2.3 million in damages and fees from the wrestler known as Abdul the Butcher who gave him hepatitis C, a judge ruled Tuesday in 20 June of 2014. Nicholson, who wrestled under the moniker, and I'm not going to say it, you can you can uh, search for it yourself if you want to. Once again, I'm trying to be professional about all this. 
filed a $6.5 million lawsuit against World Wrestling Entertainment or against the World Wrestling Entertainment Hall of Famer, uh, known as Abdul the Butcher, in the ring. Nicholson said that he contracted the infectious disease that attacks the liver from Abdullah during a wrestling match in Cochrane, Alberta in May 26th of 2007. He said Abdullah the Butcher had a piece of razor blade taped to his finger during a match, a practice known as blading. Nicholson said he was offered a three-year contract with WWE, the largest professional wrestling company in the world, after 2000 trial camp. 2009, sorry, trial camp. The WWE canceled his contract less than three weeks later when the company found out that Nicholson had hepatitis C. In January of 2014, Nicholson said that an experimental treatment cured him of hepatitis C, and he now hopes to fulfill his dreams of fighting in the WWE. On Tuesday in June of 2014, an Ontario Supreme Superior Court judge ruled that Nicholson did contract hepatitis C from Shreve, a.k.a. Abdul the Butcher. So that's kind of what happened with that situation. There's, like I said, a lot more that you can read into it if you want to. It's just something that I wanted to touch on. And one thing I will say is that I in no way, shape, or form would wish, ever wish, any ill health upon anybody. And hepatitis C is a hell of a disease. And it's very unfortunate that uh, Mr. Nicholson contracted it. Uh, nobody should have to go through that. Nobody should have to go through any kind of develop, deb debilitating, listen to me talk, uh, disease, ailment, or anything that impacts your life or could potentially shorten your life or potentially end your life prematurely. So on one hand, I'm very happy to hear that he is fully cured and he can proceed and hopefully this wasn't too much of an inconvenience on his life and hopefully didn't shorten his life expectancy too much because like I said, Nobody should have to go through anything like that. That's that's a hell of a ride to go through. That being said, I'm not thrilled with the way that it's been handled after the fact. But again, I'm trying to uh, keep this professional, if you will. So I'm not going to get too deep into this on, on a personal issue. That's really not the... This show is not that kind of a platform. And I don't really want to ever be that kind of... Uh, that kind of a person so I'm gonna leave that at that and like I said we are going to move towards the finish of the program before we do I'm gonna play one more uh, little audio clip of Abdul the Butcher so I hope you'll enjoy and then like I said we're gonna to move to the finish of the program tonight and anybody anywhere that does not fear name of the almighty Abdullah the Butcher is either an insane fool or the lion to you. This man that you see is not an ordinary being. He has reigned terror in the wrestling He has reigned terror in the wrestling business for more years than any man. There ain't a single human being that can say deep in their heart that they do not fear. The baddest of the bad, the biggest of the big, the black terror that is going to change things at TBS. He's here for a purpose. He's here for a reason. Everybody that has shunned me, 
that has made light of me. The Black Monster will take care of everything. Because there's only one. Abdullah, the butcher, the real boogeyman has arrived on TBS. As we head to the finish of tonight's program, I just want to thank once again the three guests that we had on tonight's show. Uh, Pat LaPrade, Iad, and Dr. Mike Leno. Uh, without them, this show would not have been anywhere close to as good as it ended up being. So I want to thank you three very much for your contributions to the show. Once again, I highly suggest that everybody go check out the amazing, incredible uh, works in publishing that Pat LaPrade has done. Uh, all of those links can be found on Amazon for especially the Andre the Giant book. And like I said, wives... Uh, sons, daughters, grandparents, whatever. Somebody, anybody out there who has not picked up this book already, like we were talking about, the soft cover book is going to be ready just in time for Christmas this coming year. I know we're in July, moving into August. It'll be August when this program comes out. But make sure you put that on the uh, old Christmas list, if you will, and pick up a copy for yourself. Also want to make mention, if you would like to support this program, super easy. Uh, you can buy me a beer grappling with canada you can find us on uh, buymeacoffee.com slash grappling i think it's uh, like five bucks or whatever just is a little donation to this program uh, as everybody knows this is a independent promotion uh, i do all the researching editing everything in promotion blah 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 everything in regards to this program is all done by myself it's thirsty work, if you will. So if you want to buy me a beer, go ahead at buymeacoffee.com slash grappling. Want to make mention as well, uh, if you could leave a five-star review, that would be tremendous on iTunes or on Good Pods or on Podchaser. And if you leave a rating and review, especially the review part of it, I'll make sure that I mention it on the next month's episode. Speaking of the next month's episode, if you want the sneak peek, make sure that you run, don't walk, to Facebook. Use that wonderful search bar and join the Facebook group, Grappling with Canada, where every month, uh, before the, a week before the next show is about to debut, I'm going to drop uh, who the next episode is going to be featuring. So you have some time to uh, leave a comment, question, query, whatever, and uh, and get that on the next episode upcoming show once again facebook uh search grappling with canada i would also suggest that you like share subscribe as well as when you rate and review this program on any of the podcasting platforms of your choosing such as good pods itunes stitcher sound not soundcloud because i hate that platform uh spotify uh google Podcasts, anywhere else where you buy sell trade steal barter your favorite podcast you can find us except soundcloud F those guys. <laughs> but on behalf of myself, the taxman, on behalf of all the guests I had on tonight's program, I hope that now that we're moving out of this pandemic and life can get back to normal, that everybody is able to spend some time with friends and family. I know for my, my wife, uh, my children, and myself, we have some vacation coming up. We're very much looking forward to that. Had some in July. Looking forward to some more in August and looking forward to, like I said, reconnecting with friends and family. I really hope that all of you are able to do that as well. 
I hope that you all stay safe in regards to it. And go get your pokes. I've got my uh, double facts. I feel like I've got 5G running through my veins. And I feel like I can run 5 miles. One of these things are not true. It's up to you to figure out which one. <laughs> but anyways, if you want to get in touch with me, uh, you can shoot me an email. SixSidePod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at six underscore podcast like i said you can find us on facebook uh, facebook.com use that wonderful search bar grappling with canada please join the group it would mean a lot and like i said leave a rating and review wherever it's applicable and i'll make sure it comes on the or is said on the next month's episode i should also mention youtube.com slash c slash six sided podcast make sure you subscribe there we're marching 2000 it's a slow march and we're kind of crawling like ants at this point but it would make a mean a lot make a lot <laughs> listen to me talk if you guys would join that and uh and we'll go from there so once again i could not do this program without each and every one of you who are listening so do me a big favor because right now you are probably on your cell phone scrolling through work or pissed off at somebody or you're trying to find a new platform to listen to podcasts on because iTunes is apparently balls lately so when you're on your phone text a friend text your family tell me you listen to grappling with Canada you heard the tax man you listen a little bit of history you learned a little bit of something and you enjoyed yourselves and that's all that anybody can hope for so once again for myself the tax man for all the guests that I had on the program and for each and every one of you I hope that you're all enjoying your summer and we'll catch you next month for the next episode of Grappling with Canada. But until then, take care of yourselves and each other. Good night, everyone. <laughs>